Hey everybody, um, welcome back to Fixed Astros Astropod. I'm here with Pow, and we're going to talk about Sag Deccans. Honestly, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, not just because it's holiday season, but one way that, um, ironically, it was like my boss who said this. Like, think about it. Like, as we progress to the um, solstice, it's it's only going to get lighter from like that point on. So, like. It's like the final descent into like peak dark, but you know what? You know there's hope on the other side of the tunnel, so that's kind of the vibe. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect tone to set this um to start off this Sag episode. And as we always do in our episodes, we want to start first by talking about the current astro weather. So as we were preparing for this, we started by talking about how this Taurus eclipse. Um, had went which just happened um, just quite a few days ago do you want to do you want to start do you want to share anything about the Taurus eclipse it's the first one of a series of like we're going to get over the next like year and a half or so yeah you know what's weird about the um the Sag uh sorry not the Sag uh Gemini but the Taurus Scorpio eclipses is that if you actually look at some of the ephemerides like it seems like if you look at the next even eclipse cycle it's almost like the Taurus Scorpio eclipses like struggle to fully go away. Um, by the time you hit like late 2023, parts of 2024, they're like struggling to go away. And it's like the Aries Libra axis and the Taurus Scorpio axis are duking it out for, you know, who's more influential or in control. So that's something mm. to look at. So this is going to be a very, very drawn out. <laughs> cycle um yeah but no uh i don't know about you pal but as a taurus son like the eclipse was pretty close to my son and my son is the ruler of my sixth house i've had a splitting headache ever since and you know sometimes it's like i forget to take my medication and i'll have a headache but this time it seems like no matter what i do I hydrate. I like know sometimes I have a tendency to tie my little hair buns too tight. So I'll like let my hair down. Nothing helps. And it's just like my head is constantly hurting. And so I'm wondering if I'm just going to spend like eclipse season feeling really run down because like the first eclipse hit my L6. Um, the next eclipse in Sag is actually conjunct my chart ruler. <laughs> so I'm just like bracing for impact at this point <laughs> oh, no. oh i hope that gets better for you soon um no for me i so i'm a taurus rising so these taurus uh, scorpio eclipses are always going to hit my first house seventh house axis and like mo i also have a luminary in taurus but it's my moon um both my moon and ascendant are a little far from this last eclipse but nonetheless i um I felt it most in, I mean, it's in my first house and luckily like I don't have headaches or like any like health things, but I decided to be real proactive about it. And I wanted to start a weight cut because um, I had put on, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a competitive power lifter and I haven't been gaining muscle these days. I've been gaining a lot of fat. And so um, I kind of need to work on that, especially since I want to get back into power lifting. And so I'm, yeah, I decided to start this like new cut that, you know, I wanted to be really gradual because it's not like I'm competing anytime soon. So that was like one kind of big eclipse thing. Um, but the other thing is because this is on my first house, seventh house access, axis, 
things that partners tend to come up with me for these eclipses. And so um, I don't want to air out too much of my partner's life because he's a Scorpio rising, especially <laughs> he's not going to appreciate <laughs> it. But yeah, he unfortunately had some, this eclipse was like almost exactly on his Scorpio Saturn um, and it's in his, um, it's opposing his, um, yeah, or sorry, it's, ex- it's almost exactly opposing his Scorpio Saturn because Taurus is in his seventh house. And he had some major issues come up like the day after the eclipse. And so that obviously affects me because he's my partner. Um, but I think the other thing I wanted to note for people listening is with eclipses, like I think it's always fun to try to look back at the previous series. So with Taurus and Scorpio, the last time we had those eclipses was like, it was like right at the end of 2012, all the way into like yeah. 2013. And then yeah. if you're old enough, you could even look back to the ones even earlier. It was like 2003, 2004. And I am old enough. I was I was in like end of high school in those years. And it always is it's always major relationships like I got into my very I got my very first boyfriend like in 2003 (laughs) and then um I I moved to Hawaii actually in 2013 um with my then partner who became my husband who's now no longer my husband and now it's it's really interesting starting this series because like I know um I'm gonna be moving soon I'm gonna be moving in the spring sometime soon all the way to New York um me and my partner are gonna have the breakup so I'm like kind of planning for that as well and so a lot of major major life changes for Taurus and Scorpio risings I think holy crap that's actually really intense um I'm thinking because around what was it 2013 I would have finished high school and you know that's my third ninth axis so it's always school related stuff i don't remember what was going on in 2004 like mm, i sort of remember but i don't like know how to map that onto the eclipses because it's like i was like what nine eight nine um (laughs) but no the last one the previous one i was at the end of high school and it was around that um scorpio Taurus axis where I got into the scholarship program and I did this like series of interviews or something um, that sent me to college far away and so <laughs> I, I, I'm really not sure what to make of you know this cycle it's like oh, I don't think I'm getting a scholarship this time but I think it's going to be something related to having to put myself out there and like do things like that um so it's really interesting coming back up on that cycle yeah well with uranus now there right because uranus obviously wasn't there last time right you never know (laughs) maybe there will be like scholarship or other kind of opportunities that you won't expect yeah like okay so for this particular uh cycle also around the taurus eclipse like uh this application for this like mini consulting competition came up and so i decided to participate in that but the actual competition is during the sag eclipse which is on my chart ruler so you know i think that there's an element of like the surprise being related to that and like maybe forming more like community around that and like being more active in clubs and stuff because like this is a nodal reversal for me Mm. um 
And so like, instead of like trying to focus on, you know, like the deep study and like publication and things like that, which are all very ninth house topics, you know, learning how to, you know, communicate with people again, um, do community related things and like daily practice sort of stuff. That's very third house. So I think it's going to be like flipping the whole academic thing on its head for me, really. Yeah. Well, that sounds exciting. And we also wanted to talk to you all about, you know, because we're starting this Taurus and Scorpio um, eclipse season. And but now we're also closing up the Sagittarius and Gemini eclipses. And so we're going to have a um, Sag eclipse, depending on where you live in the world, it's going to fall on December 3rd or 4th. And a few days prior on November 28th, we will have the Mercury Kazemi. And so, um, yeah, I mean, same as, you know, we just ran through these Taurus Scorpio eclipses and looked at the previous ones, like even within a cycle itself, right, you can see recurring patterns and themes. And so, um, you know, we've been having these Sag and Gemini eclipses now for like the past year and a half. So you might even want to like look back at the previous ones to see what was coming up for you. Um, but what do you have to say about the Sag eclipse? Um, I mean... For for one, it's like a South Node eclipse, like so something. I know some people say like with South Node, it's like oh something has to go, which is like probably somewhat true for some people and some things, but it could be like the re- resolution or wrapping up of something so that you can start something else because it is like a solar eclipse, which is more of a beginning. Mm-hmm. and more of a seed being planted so like maybe while something is being cleared out like it could be the end of like a drawn out like conflict or battle in like whatever part of your life and the reason i'm saying battle will become clear as we talk about sag decans <laughs> but um you know <laughs> it's like some sort of tug of war or like thing requiring lots of endurance might like be coming to an end and then like giving you the space to really like focus on something that's a little more inspiring uh might be implicated with this particular eclipse um i know i'm being a little self-absorbed right now i'm just thinking about it because it's like literally right on my chart ruler like (laughs) and i'm just thinking about the implications that has so (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i i i'm i'm trying to i don't know if i want to say anything about it just yet because my um my saturn is in sag and so but i think it, i think it'll come up more as we talk about the decans but mm. um yeah i i know i feel you on it does seem like this is going to be like a like a letting go of something i i'm i'm personally not even sure what all that will be for me um my partner and I met on last year's December <laughs> Sag eclipse, but we're doing oh we're doing okay right now. And I, I actually, we're like the plan right now is to like end our relationship in February. And I'm like really hoping we could stick to that. But I guess you never fucking know, especially with eclipses. So just, nah, you never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. Um, do you have any announcements? Um, wait, before announcements, do we want to talk real quick about, because um, we do have a couple, we, we, we have Mars entering Sag on December oh, <laughs> on December 13th. And then we also have Venus stationing retrograde on December 19th. 
Um, well, with Mars entering Sag, it's gonna immediately conjoin the South Node, so I think that's just. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it might be a rocky start for this Ingress, but I also am. I'm also kind of looking forward to to like not having another Malefic on the fixed signs. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it also if you take like the Vedic point of view, um, uh, K2 slash the South Node is to Mars as um, Rahu slash the North Node is to Saturn. So like there's a similarity or parallel there because um, there's this thing about like the struggle for embodiment with like um, the South Node. And I feel like having mars like go through that point might allow you to like get more rooted or grounded in like whatever mars rules in your chart not like in a oh there's this ideal that i want to make manifest which is more like um what saturn likes to do slash what the north node slash rahu likes to do that's what they like to do bringing illusions into some kind of form that could be tangible even though they're not real at the end of the day while um there's this element of like release that comes from embodiment that's involved with like the south node mars type thing and so like i think that's a good time to like get grounded and get rooted and like whatever sag and mars have to do with your chart and you know it's a good time for purging things that are unnecessary and that's a good way of like getting um grounded so like having some outlet for like i think of the athleticism of mars for example a Mm. lot um and because it's like a fire sign like you need something that's a little more active so like actively taking part in that like culling process or like that discharge process so that Um, maybe you can like free yourself up to like chase new things that are inspiring which is what Sag Mars wants to do at the end of the day right Mm. yeah no I like it I mean you're inspiring me to really use that transit to really like I I have to I'm gonna I'm moving I'm gonna have to really like literally start throwing things out and Mm -hmm. Sag is in my eighth house right it's like a yeah it's on that two house eighth house axis so I think that sounds appropriate (laughs) um yep yeah, and then I think the I think the transits everyone's paying attention to. Like, I'm not on social media anymore, but it's like I'm seeing all these other astrologers' email blasts, and it's like Venus stationing retrograde in Capricorn <laughs> is the star of the show. Like, people are already talking about it. That happens on December nineteenth. Um, I um, I think it was the last time Venus stationed retrograde was also, I believe, like that, like end of 2013 into 2014. Um, I think it was. I think it. Yeah, no, that that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had to think because. <laughs> yeah. That one hit me too. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's. It, 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 I thought it was funny because it's like, oh, that that is also like. That was the end of, I guess, a Taurus Scorpio <laughs> eclipse season too. But I, yeah, I, I haven't. I'm actually, I, I guess I'm different than all the other astrologers. I haven't really thought too much about Venus um, retrograde in Capricorn yet. Have you? I mean, I've thought about it. Uh, I have my theories. I have my ideas, both like about mundane things, mm-hmm. but also like personal things. 
all I have to say is I really am sick of the whole like this is all about you needing to elevate at work or like something about relationships and something about like Saturnian discipline which is like not wrong but like comes out in a way that's half-baked mm-hmm. and I mean some of the takes I've been seeing about Venus retrograde and Capricorn have been really out there <laughs> so I think you right know, before like, I signed off, I saw I saw one take that was like, "This is a great time to start new relationships." <laughs> like, what? Uh, look, as someone who actually started a relationship during this last uh, Venus retrograde in Capricorn, like, I looked back at the transits. Like, it's not that I didn't know astrology back then; I just wasn't as into it, right? Yeah. I wasn't keeping track of like this Venus retrograde and that. I just knew what my birth chart was. Like that's all I knew. And <laughs> the day that I started this fucking relationship, it was the actually the day of the uh Venus Kazimi mm. in Capricorn in 2014. Okay. Uh needless to say, that relationship crashed and fucking burned. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh Lord. Um, like based on personal experience i wouldn't recommend like starting a relationship during a venus retrograde period but like there are some people who like that's like their calling and like if that's what they're meant to do during this period i'm not going to tell them to not start a relationship but maybe to be a little careful yeah yeah i think that sounds right and on the mundane stuff, I know you and I even touched on it a bit in our um, 2021 um, year predictions. Like we were thinking about mm-hmm. um, what's going to happen with like the U.S. economy or mm. with you know certain elected leaders. It, it, it this um, you know just so folks know, like Venus will conjoin Pluto right before the retro or the stationing, and then it stations mm-hmm. retrograde, and then immediately comes back to pluto and so um i I know i've been thinking about it too i've been thinking about that episode um i do want to actually go back and listen to it because um yeah even with the economy right like just seeing the fact that inflation's like going up like crazy but spending hasn't gone up like it hasn't really deterred people from spending money with maybe the exception of gas like i know people are kind of freaking out about that but (laughs) We'll see. Yeah, I really hate how close this is to holiday season because I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but ever since Venus went into Capricorn, like the supply chain issues have been off the like, it doesn't matter like what industry like. I mean, I remember going to the grocery store at various points in the last like few weeks and, you know, there are shelves empty and like there's stuff you can't get. You know, I've been indulging in some retail therapy. Um, there are some stores that I will not name and shame, but people know who they are. You know, like, always sold out of everything. Um, oh, this is on back order until late 2022. Like, that's cool. insane. <laughs> and you want to take my money so that you could say, yeah, this isn't going to ship till, like, July 2022, Jesus. December 2022. Like, what's the point that you don't have it? Yeah. let it go yeah. don't take my money like i don't know like it, it's and, and i think like you know like the end of 2021 much of early 2022 is gonna be like 
dealing with the supply chain issues, especially like as we slowly, I don't want to say like move into a post COVID world because I think COVID is just here to stay and we just have to learn how to live with it appropriately. But like, Mm -hmm. as we move out of the cycle of like lockdown this and lockdown that, like dealing with like how we need to get back on our usual you know, schedule of like exchanging goods and services. And I think in lacking certain things, we have to determine what's really of value and what's worth spending our money on. And I think this is something we could talk about a little more in the Cap Deccans episode. Yes. Because of the Deccan of Capricorn <laughs> that this retrograde starts in. Like, yeah, I am excited to talk about this in the Cap episode because like on top of like, you know, you're saying about like, you know, what do we value, right? Another thing that's been coming up a lot is that um, at least here in the U.S., people are um, quitting their jobs at a much higher rate than before. But this is also part of a trend. Like I was reading another article too that this has been the trend since even before COVID, but COVID just really, really accelerated. People are just kind of fed up with their jobs. Um, and just in general, like this culture of like working so fucking hard and just not getting valued in the same way. And so I definitely think this will come up a lot in our cap episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, having that Scorpio Mars opposite Uranus, like, and all being in a T square with Saturn, like, that's not helping. And I feel like this might come up to an extent in our, um, 2022 episode because like there's a period like next summer I want to say where it's literally just like Mars and Taurus (laughs) squaring Saturn and like it's you know like Taurus is the last sign that uh, Mars goes through before it spends a crazy amount of time in Gemini (laughs) at the end of next year so um yeah it's like you know i feel like this is just a preview of some like tension that is to come especially like with us ending the year on this like note with venus retrograding in capricorn gonna be trining uranus at various points speaking to some of that upheaval we're trying to do when it comes to the Turian things in our life yeah i um yeah, I don't want to jump too much ahead, but I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I, I'm already thinking about our 2022 episode. Mo and I are going to be recording it very soon. I know. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the Mars and Taurus because I think it mm-hmm. is right around that time that Mars is in Taurus that there are going to be so many planets in Aries. <laughs> yup. <laughs> that Mars and Taurus ruling all of that. So, and that is that that Mars Saturn square, you know, where with Mars in Taurus and then Saturn in Aquarius, um, was the same. Um, that was the same transit that was going on at the beginning of this year, right in January, like mm-hmm. right when, like you know, the Capitol riots here in the U.S. happened, and um, mm-hmm. that was, um, and even in this, this even just a couple of weeks ago with this past square, because we got another Mars-Saturn square but with Mars overcoming this time from Scorpio. Now there was all this mm-hmm. news coming in about like more people getting, um, you know, subpoenaed or indicted for um, the Capitol riots. So. Yeah, I mean, around the same time, like, I think there were a lot of like mass labor strikes, everybody striking 
Like, I know that Mars has separated from, like, at least, uh, it's still pretty close to Uranus, I think. Um, but it has separated from Saturn. Um, and so, like, I, I was seeing something on the news about how, like, because a lot of Europe is trying to do lockdowns again because COVID's getting out of hand, the v- protests are really violent right now. And yep. so there's just a lot of this, like, really volatile, like, resistance to um, restrainment. And so, like, I think it's interesting, like, as Mars goes through the rest of the fixed signs again, it's going to come back to Aquarius, like, I think in February. And, you know, I don't really have a lot of hope that um, a lot of the people involved in the Capitol riot will be held accountable. At least some of them were under this particular, like, Mars-Saturn square. But, like, I don't know. It's not... It's not really giving me a lot of hope. Um, yeah. Just because, like, around the time, like, Mars is building up to that conjunction with Saturn, like, Venus will hit Saturn first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like Venus has to spend, like, at least two weeks being, like, enclosed by the malefics. And so any sort of, like, justice or, like, sense of, like, trying to bring people together might go out the window for a bit. That's just me, but, like... Yeah, I, I don't know. No, I agree with looking, you. It's not looking likely that any sort of justice will come about, but I'm like getting a little ahead of myself. So yeah, I'm bad. Okay, <laughs> we will talk about. We're we're just excited to talk about 2022 already, but we will save it for we'll save it for our upcoming episode. But um, I know you have a a quick couple quick announcements. I mean, for me, mine is just super quick again. Like, I really don't think I'm going to open my readings anytime soon. Like, there's just too many life changes for me going on. So that's it. Uh, speaking of readings, yeah, I know it's like the end of November. My bad. Like, life happened to me. I am a grad student. Um, and I know I have like existing clients itching to get back into consults with me to those people like stuff is opening i just have to get acuity set up because i am too technically challenged for this i'm sorry (laughs) um and so at some point like before the end of this month like likely in the next like two days we're recording this on like what the 22nd like Mm -hmm. it's gonna be set up pretty soon and i have a new availability for people who have already done like a year ahead with me or some other reading with me where you can get like a cheaper sort of like uh follow-up consult to like talk about um something we've talked about before and I think it'll be a nice way for like um you know people who've had consults with me who want to check in again to like check in with me again but that being said you can only book it if you've done like whether it was like a career reading, a love reading, um, or like, you know, a year ahead consult, like it's the only way I'm going to do that with you. Uh, another thing I'm thinking about is while I do want to take on new clients, like I'm also realizing I'm entering a stage of my graduate studies, but also like my career where like, I need to be like doing other things (laughs) like, um, networking and things like that and so like my availability is going to be really limited like really limited and so um I do plan on opening consults for December through Feb 
March looks a bit rough, so I will not be doing consoles. <laughs> and you guys will understand why during the um, Your Head episode. Uh, <laughs> and then, honest to God, April, May is again end of the school year slash birthday season for myself and a lot of people I know. So, like, I'm probably going to be living on a different planet. Um, <laughs> so, basically, if you really want a reading with me, like, I will prioritize, like, you know, existing clients. Um, I'm possibly moving to a referral only um, service just because I I'm too overwhelmed, like dealing with things and people. Um, and oh, also I'm going to be spending Venus retrograde working on my website and other things that are coming in 2022. So stay tuned so yeah the, these are the reasons for like my change in like availability so apologizing in advance but now you guys know <clears throat> no thanks for giving that update um you ready to jump into sagittarius the archetype oh yes <laughs> <laughs> so as we were preparing for this we were both talking about how sag is the more violent <laughs> of the fire signs like even more so than aries <laughs> do you want to expand yeah. on that a little more mo yes like okay i know aries is like a mars ruled sign it's quote unquote the first sign or whatever the hell um I mean, I'm not into that, but if you're into it, cool. <laughs> it's cardinal fire. It's ruled by Mars. Ooh, it's like volatile, but it's like I see Aries as the spark that like starts things. But it's like if it doesn't have a thing to catch fire, it won't go very far. Also, cardinal is like quick. Um, fixed is like more permanent and enduring. So like. You know, Leo has the potential to be intense, but it's almost like a purpose, purposeful, like, intensity that is consistent and, like, channeled in a particular way. Whereas, like, I feel like the fire archetype really goes wild with Sagittarius because, for one, if you think about it, it's the only, like, uh, member, organism, entity of the Zodiac that has a weapon. So, like, guys, it's it's like... <laughs> Um, <laughs> there's violence implied. I'm sorry. Uh, and then if you think about Jupiter and expansion, like this is something that um, I've only come to think about more as I've like engaged with like um, certain Vedic astrologers. Like um, uh, they talk about the principle of expansion in Jupiter and how like. Sometimes expansion can be so extreme that, like, it sort of consumes you a bit, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's that ferocity that is, like, understated about Sagittarius. I feel like everybody thinks Sagittarius is just, like, the, ooh, like, let's have a shrooms trip and, like, <laughs> have fun. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there is some of that. I mean, I, I I do laugh that like when you see a lot of the meme, when you see like fire sign memes, you know, like they always depict Sag as the clown, and there can be a little bit of that, like especially with Jupe. But I agree with you. Like I think, um, you know, Jupiter's archetype of um, or signifying expansion. Like a lot of people don't realize just how um, 
there can be violence definitely attached to that and there could be a lot of there's just inevitable restriction that comes with expansion there's like really no such thing as just pure complete expansion like I've been reading um I've been reading um Alice Sparkly Cat's post-colonial astrology and they have a really really excellent chapter on Jupiter and just um even when you simply go into the mythology the the Greco-Roman mythology of Jupiter right like Jupiter's um rise to power was very violent right like he had to defeat his father and even his mother and um and there's just this whole um just um there's a whole like archetype around like Jupiter is about bringing order into chaos, but a lot of that order in mm-hmm. itself, it, it's restriction. I mean, law and or laws are, are are very very restrictive. Um, I'm I'm very much a lawful good person, but even I recognize that um there's so much restriction restriction with that, and there's opportunity and expansion that could come with order, but at the same time, like no, like it's it's not. There's no such thing as pure expansion. That's for sure. <laughs> 100 percent, and like i think what people don't and i i think i think a lot about what sam reynolds has said about the jupiter return and how because people think jupiter's just like sky sugar daddy give me stuff like (laughs) people don't realize how hard um you know the jupiter return period can be like i mean honestly my jupiter return was great it slapped but like a lot of it came with having to like um i guess like the jupiter return for me was i got into grad school mm. i moved to canada um but i had to shed my comfort zone i had to leave behind a support system i had to come here by myself basically um and that was not easy mm. and you know i'm reaping the consequences of that um and so a lot of people don't realize like Jupiter will break the containers you put yourself in. And if you're somebody who is more, you know, team Saturn, I need boundaries, you're going to struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know about you, but as someone who has like Saturn in a Jupiter ruled sign, Pisces, (laughs) which which does tend to lack boundaries, um, you know, being received by Jupiter, at least like I do struggle with like what can I do? Because I'm one of those people who's like, if you don't tell me what I'm able to do, I will assume I can't do anything. Like, I need you to tell me where the boundary is. And like, I'll just like, I feel like it's also very like Jupiter and like water science thing. So I think of like Jupiter, Jupiter's exaltation in Cancer, Jupiter's um, domicile in Pisces. Water signs want to fill a container. Mm jovial water signs want a big container to fill and if you tell me the container is big enough i will fill it (laughs) but fire jupiter sag (laughs) Uh, says we're gonna blow up the container (laughs) yes it's more like it's like i'm a fucking forest fire and i will burn as so long as there's just things to burn that i don't Mm -hmm. have jupiter in um sag or or, i do have it in the other fire sign fucking aries (laughs) um and i have my saturn in sag which i think i'll talk about a lot for sure when we talk about sag deccan too (laughs) um because i've um yeah I'll, I'll, i'll expand more on that later but with 
Um, with Sag, I think another stereotype that comes up with Sag is, um, you know, the adventurousness, right? You see that a lot in fucking dating profiles, especially Jesus Christ. Like every other Sag is like, I love to hike. And it's like, you and but like the rest of the dating like profiles. They're all like that. They're all like that. And it's like, do you like get off on being a stereotype? Holy crap. <laughs> yes <laughs> but there is a um you know there's the there's like the worldliness like the worldly sage and intellectual like archetype that does come with sag because again those are just some jupiterian traits um but you know we also have to keep in mind mercury is in detriment in this sign so um i think I think there tends to be like if there is an intellectualism, it's going to be a focus more on like the big picture. So that could be ideologies, politics, theories, again, law and order versus um, maybe not so much on the fine details. Yeah. Also, like something I've come to appreciate about like Mercury's uh, lack of dignity in, you know, the Jupiter ruled fire and water signs is that like I think about the nature of Mercury and like even though Mercury's nature changes depending on its solar phase so it can either be hot and wet or it can be cold and dry which are the ways that um, Gemini and Virgo are respectively uh, I think Mercury prefers to be cold and dry which is probably why it exalts in Virgo <laughs> mm -hmm. and I think Mercury would prefer to be dry um, <clears throat> just because like it's double debilitated in Pisces, which is wet. Um, and so I think about the heat of Mercury in Sagittarius. It's dry, but it's hot. And so like the problem with Mercury in Sagittarius is that there can be a lack of, um, how do I put this, tact? A lot of times they just say things as is. And one thing that Mercury in air signs does really well with is knowing how to say things to certain people where you convey the necessary information in a way that they're going to receive it. Whereas Mercury in Sagittarius and probably other fire signs, but mostly Sagittarius, doesn't really care about that. They just want to say what they think needs to be said and... Um, it almost needs to be accepted because there's this assumption that the big picture matters over everything. Um, and as long as people see the big picture, they don't need to get hung up on the details. But Mercury is a planet of, you know, creating like, you know, little distinctions and categories and things like that. And so Mercury really struggles um, really articulating itself sometimes when it's forced to just like convey a big picture it's almost like there's a dogma to it sometimes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i think the the one of the last things i really wanted to make too is that the tarot card associated with sag is temperance and i don't know about you but temperance is one of the major arcana cards that i i draw the least and so i don't really get to study it too hard and at um, first glance, you know, I think to myself, like, what does this card have to do with Sag? But the more I read about it and study about it, it actually fits really, really well, um, particularly with the fact that Sag is mutable fire. Like temperance absolutely is a card of action, even if sometimes that action is to wait. <laughs> um, and so I, 
I think temperance can often be simplified as balance and moderation, but I think it's much, much more complex than that, especially when you are only viewing decision-making as a dichotomy or a binary. Um, you will struggle real hard with temperance <laughs> if that's, that's how you're viewing th- choices and decisions and that, oh, temperance is about mm-hmm. just finding the middle way or it's about like b- flopping between two different extremes. And it's like, no, um, I think where t- Sag can really, really excel is um figuring out correct actions like the correct course of action to take that goes beyond you know like one choice or a few choices sometimes people just feel crippled and think they have no choice when there's no such Mm -hmm. thing you always have a multitude of choices and i think that's where sag can do well in yeah i i really love the association of temperance with sag and i really love having this debate with like tarot readers who are like i don't get the association with sag there's no energy here like (laughs) wrong it's there and so like i really like um the thoth depiction of temperance as art and one thing i've come to appreciate about the temperance archetype is this uh there's this subtle like alchemy that's coming on and alchemy is just like putting things together and seeing what you get right and there's almost this like that the element of like exploration or experimentation that you do see with Sagittarius a lot is captured in that card and I think of temperance as like you know needing to channel some of those like inspiring energies into like subtle actions and I do think that people act like Sagittarius is always this like grandiose like Um, explorer type person which can be true sometimes but I found that a lot of people with Sag placements like can make um, the most like seemingly mundane things seem like spectacular Mm. and I think that's where the you know the jovial sage who's like traveling wandering sharing all the little things that they've encountered on their travels really comes through in that temperance archetype and i think people should stop sleeping on it yeah and susan chang writes that um you know reminds us that temperance comes from the word like to be tempered and when you're tempering something it means to be tried and tested like sort of like you know when you're forging metal right and so i think that we'll see that a lot as we talk through the decans that's for sure but that's not a passive or like uh, like or, or that's not a passive archetype that's not um yeah temperance is just isn't that at all temperance actually really is i think a, like a call to action which i think um you know fits sag really well mm-hmm. no i i definitely agree i did want to ask what you thought about <clears throat> how some sources will say that the south node is exalted here personally oh. i don't ag- i don't agree i don't agree personally <laughs> i um, i've never heard that before i am shocked by it because um i mean we're we're literally going through that transit right now for one and i know i know some people who have this placement natally and i don't know if they would they would fully agree with that but what what what, what are those sources I don't remember, but I know some people say like the North Node is exalted in Gemini or like the South Node is exalted in Sag. And I'm like, mm, I don't agree. But <laughs> huh. uh, 
I guess I, I haven't looked too much into like rulership um, and essential dignity with the nodes. Like it's just something I haven't really, I guess, thought about. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I really don't know, but (laughs) Um, yeah, but uh, do you have anything else to say about the Sag archetype? Because I I don't think I do. No, I'm ready to jump into the first decan, if you are. Okay, let's Let's jump into the first decan. Great. So, so uh, Austin Coppock calls this one the poisoned arrow, and this is ruled by um, Mercury if you use the Chaldean system, and it's ruled by Jupiter if you use the triplicity system. Uh, this one's interesting because I know he uses a lot of like uh themes of like going viral or infection or contagion Mm -hmm. and things like that and like i was i think i was thinking about like some of the transits going on in like late 2019 like around the time that covid was like really kicking off and i do believe like when some of the stuff was going on in china like mars was moving through this decade of sagittarius at some point because it was like the end of scorpio season Mars wasn't Sag at that point, and like things were slowly starting to like fall into place. And so, like, I think there are themes of like infection or like viralness that um, do come up. And then, like, I think about the first Deccan um, Sag Pluto generation, <laughs> <laughs> and I think about um, how certain elements of like you know, social media and stuff like that, whether it's for political or just purely social purposes, like there's themes about doing things that elicit some kind of reaction. Like there's a provocative sort of um, nature to it. Yeah, I, I I had this girl, th- I just quickly glimpsed at my examples for this decade and I could totally see how the viralness like could fit. I think, um, when something goes viral right it it is about it's about rapid movement it's about like communication news or like a trend just moving really really quickly and the tarot card associated with this is the eight of wands which is um, known as the lord of swiftness and when you see the eight of wands i mean the eight of wands is probably like as literal as you can get for a tarot card like it really does Mm -hmm. tend to bring like swift um fast news and um it's it's just it's really like when you look at the image at least the writer weight image it really is just eight wands moving forward that's it it's just like it's pretty simple imagery yeah no i really loved what um susan chang says about the um eight of wands and i think it's interesting how she describes this card along with the seven of uh cups Mm -hmm. as being the most like um what's it called the most like magically accessible of the minor arcana and tarot and i thought that was really interesting especially because like if you think about um the eight of wands as a mix of like you know what the magician is doing but also what um uh temperance is doing like it really drives home the point of alchemy and like 
trying to put things together to see what you get and like the swiftness and communication because she notes on the tempers card that there are these flowers called irises mm -hmm. um and iris is also a god or goddess of uh communication mm -hmm. and um transport so i i think that that's really um interesting and she also hints that there's this element of like making things manifest that shows up in this um card and i also like that she describes this card as like the speed of the archer because you can look at the um progress through the sag decans as like how fast the archer is like going to like decide on what their target is the next decan or card being like the strength and then like the 10 or the last being like um how you hit your target and the consequences of hitting your target. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I thought that was really loud. And so I don't know. And I, I, I also like seeing the tension between being like both a Mercury and Jupiter ruled Deccan. Yes. <laughs> I think this shows up in the first Deccan of Gemini as well. But also I believe the last Deccan of Libra. Mm -hmm. And how there's this like tension between like you know doing the most while also being like really precise yeah and there's this yeah i think um i think it's really important to emphasize that the quick decisive action we're talking about here is very very targeted and unified like we're not talking about like all over like we're just gonna like um just you know throw everything in every direction and just like see what hits it's like no this is very like targeted direction um a lot of my recent um contemplations about the magician card actually so the cards associated with this would be like the magician because mercury and then temperance right but the magician i've been thinking a lot about is um you know it's it's it, when you're when you're trying to manifest something or you're trying to like make something happen right it's only gonna work as well as like you figuring out what it what the fuck you actually want or like what what are you actually really trying to like bring to fruition and um every time like you know i drew this card in the summer during a time where i had not figured out what i want and it really kind of called me to like okay before i like really manifest anything <laughs> or um I, I really should actually really figure out what i want and what, as soon as i got really really clear on it, it it has been really amazing to look back at the past six months because that was six months ago i drew it and just to see just like how okay i got i quit my job i got a new job like i like i'm moving to a new city like all these things are suddenly rapidly moving in a unified direction um, mm -hmm. I think the other point, you know, when she, when she was talking, when Susan Chang was talking about, um, you know, the, the both, you see two messengers, right? Mercury and Isis as like agents of the gods, um, in this deck in, I also thought it was good that she noted, like, you know, remember like Mercury is also the God of deception. So mm -hmm. you can use these power, these magical powers or, you know, these communication skills for good or for like not so good. And, um, you know, the last time I drew the magician, actually, it ended up coming out is like finding out news that like someone who I thought was a friend was actually really like being really mm -hmm. receptive toward me Yikes. and talking behind my back. And so, um, yeah i think that would, i'm glad she mentions that too like use these use this magic like if you're gonna turn this into magic or talisman or channel in some ways um, <laughs> use it wisely <laughs> yeah no there's like lots of uh channeling and i think that you know mercury in this decan has like the power to like really bring like 
really bring like uh, news, like whether you want it or not. <laughs> like yes. There's, uh, there's a lot of that with Mercury in this deck in. Yes, um, that's true. I mean, messengers don't bring whatever news they're asked to bring, right? Like it could be wonderful news or it could be like the messenger in like 300 telling you we're going to war with you unless you subjugate yourself to us no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. All over the um, lot. 100%. I, I just want to read the descriptions um, because like you'll notice with all the Sag Deccans, there's like an intensity or like ferocity that's understated with like the, you know, the pop astro version of Sag. Like I feel like the ferocity of Sagittarius is really downplayed. Mm. And I feel like it shows probably the most in the first and the last Deccan. Um, I don't know, like, cause I feel like the middle Deccan is a little, a little calmer than the other two or like, less intense but like it's still ferocious <laughs> yes yes i have a lot to say uh, okay so um ibn ezra says this is a naked man from his head down to his navel it is in the figure of a man and from the navel down it is in the shape of a horse and in his hand a bow and arrows and he is shouting the picatrix says three bodies of men one is yellow another white but the third red and this is a face of heat weight of fructifying in fields and on lands of sustaining and dividing um agrippa says in the first face of sagittarius ascendeth the form of a man armed with the coat of mail and holding a naked sword in his hand this is the operation for boldness malice and liberty um and the yavana jataka give me a second question uh, sorry not question no um i was actually looking at a bigger document that has like different i guess different translations of the yavana jataka mm -hmm. um and while they're similar for the first two decans the last decan from one source is completely different from the last <laughs> decan of that source so i'm gonna have to read both when we come to that but okay. i just want you guys to know um so the yavana jataka says this first decanate and sagittarius is a man whose bone is bow is drawn and whose speed is as violent as a horse's. He has knowledge of chariots and weapons and bears the instruments for the sacrifice. His body is protected by gold and his earrings flash with gold. Um, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of provocative sort of energy. Yes. And it's like, look at my shiny weapons or like, I know how to like say the things that are going to make you respond to me. I'm ready. It's like someone itching to get into a fight. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's literally the first one you said was like literally a man with a bow and arrow. I mean, it's like actual, like very literal Sag imagery. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know about you, but when I was like looking at chart examples, I found so many fucking Sag moons in this deck. And I have my. Oh, moon you in did? This deck, I, I'm glad you did. And I also hope that you have a more diverse <laughs> crowd of examples. I'm, I'm like low key mad that all of my examples are white men, but they're good examples, unfortunately. Uh, so <laughs> I feel like I have, I feel like I have a good set of examples like i got a mix of moons mercury and like it's like mostly moon and mercury and then i got some people who have like their chart ruler got it or ascendant um and so like what's weird to me is that if you look at for example uh warren buffett and mm. oprah winfrey they literally both have very similar charts like they both have sag moon and the first whole sign house in this decan and they both have third decan sag ascendants 
Hmm. Which is really interesting because I think of the fact that their L8 is in the first house. And like both of them are known for amassing lots of wealth. But I think they also like are known for using their wealth in... mm, I don't want to say like provocative ways because they're not, I wouldn't call either of them particularly provocative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like they are both more outspoken yes. about like how they use wealth and things like that. So, like, I feel like that shows with them a lot. Um, another like moon example I have is <laughs> Frederick Nietzsche. <clears throat> He actually has his moon. He has his moon conjunct the North Node (laughs) in his second house. And it's funny because the moon rules the ninth house. And I think what's interesting is like how I'm trying to think about how this maps on his life, but I know that like his political philosophy or ideology did get like co-opted by like, you know, the Nazis, right? Mm -hmm. And he's just been kind of like a philosophical sensation. I feel like some of that is his sister's fault because she like was a sympathizer and like, I think he was institutionalized at some point and she was taking all his works and like using them to curry like political favor. But I think like a lot of his like legacy or what he's been known for is like, you know, the fervor with which he like writes about these things. Like I think of, um you know like uh thus spoke zarathustra or um was it the gay science or something like i I can't remember but like i think of how a lot of his publications or ideals went really viral and Mm. like viral so to speak for the time and um got really popular and like i know that now to this day he's considered one of the most like influential you know, um, philosophers, whether you like him or not, like, yeah. that's the thing. That's another thing about place into this deck. And it's like, you know, there are people who don't like you, but there are also people who like you. Um, <laughs> probably more so with like Mercury, especially I have a couple of Mercury examples as well, but I'll let you share some other examples first. Yeah, I think on your last note, <laughs> um, Joe Biden uh, supposedly has his ascendant here. And I hesitate to use him as an example because he does have an A-rated birth time, but it's still so rounded. Um, but, I, I mean, he's a sad rising. He's a sad rising. It's I like the ZR it. and, like, all this stuff just tracks. Like, he's a sad rising for sure. Maybe at the most, like, there's a, maybe a chance that he's got this ascendant in Sag too. But um, nonetheless, um, <laughs> I think Biden definitely is, like, one of those <laughs> kind of characters. Um, and I do think think you know on the discussion of just virality it's Mm -hmm. i think you can't deny that um whether you like him or not there were just so many memes that he inspired even more so than obama did when obama was president you know and Uh and the fact that he was just a running joke um you know being leslie nope's crush on parks and rec like he's Mm -hmm. just um yeah, he kind of became like, I don't want to say it go far as to say like he's a pop culture icon, but more so than I think other previous vice presidents. Like, um, yeah, I, and I think, you know, the US Sibley chart is also a sad rising. Um, and Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, Joe also has Jupiter and Cancer, just like that chart. And I, I just have noticed a trend that the U.S. loves politicians for sad risings and or have these like prominent Cancer place placements. They sure. really do. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I think there's also just something to say about him too. Like, regardless of what you think about him, he, he is like resilient as fuck. Like the fact that he went through like a wife and daughter's death when he was 30 and then went through mm-hmm. his son's death, um, you know, back in, I think 2015, 2016, 2015, um, and then um, had has had multiple surgeries for like brain aneurysms, and I don't know, that's that's a fucking lot for one person. Um, yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. Like uh, one other person um, I can think of who has the ascendant here. Actually, I have a couple of examples, mm-hmm. and I've noticed that like women who have like placements here in the first house are like really provocative so <laughs> um kim kardashian has her mars in the first house like, i think of like because mars rules the fifth and the twelfth like literally like she's known for her sex tape going viral like, <laughs> and that just being like very characteristic of her personality not necessarily characteristic of her personality but like her knowing how to weaponize it now um strategically has shown a lot over the years and then what's interesting is she has a very similar chart to aoc who actually has venus in a similar position um and i just think of how like aoc often goes viral for a lot of her like instagram work on like um showing people what goes on behind the scenes in congress Mm -hmm. and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and people have lots of opinions about things she does like most notably like her stunt with the dress yes (laughs) at um at what's what was it the met gala yes with her eat the rich dress and how like she used her platform and the fact that she was invited to like do these like subtle jabs at like rich people i guess while attending an event with mostly rich people is she a day chart she has a day chart (laughs) yeah okay so i think the other thing so you that would make mars her malefic out of sect i think the other thing with aoc is like she does attract attention on her own right on her own terms but i think unfortunately Mm -hmm. too she ends up getting caught in like the middle of just like opponents um jabs and attacks the most recent one being another representative paul gosar um, went viral because yes. his ass like put this whole anime right video here. where he transposed her face onto an anime character that he was fucking brutally murdering. Like, oh, wasn't Joe Biden also a target? Because yes, Joe yes, yeah. yes. Joe Biden's yeah. also in this video, but he, but it's like the focus was so much on AOC. I think because she was just mm. really the person. Um, was brutally killed or she was brutally killed in this video and it's just um yeah gosar actually recently got um rebuked um and got some of his committee appointments taken away which is um you know actually really hasn't been done i guess in congress since the 80s but but yeah like things like that will unfortunately happen to asc like even like you know ben shapiro's like weird obsession with her <laughs> too like you know on his twitter Ugh. Yeah, uh, I have a couple more ascendant examples. So Simone de Beauvoir, oh, it's um, she is actually sad rising in this decan. Uh, she's known for being like an outspoken feminist, but also being the like partner to Jean Paul Sartre. Mm-hmm. Um, and her whole existence is like literally being provocative. Like, yes, she had outspoken ideas about like feminism she wrote a lot about sex and what that was like especially from like a women's point of view i mean 
um she also what's it called she was also like very out there in terms of like you know her relational life so like a lot of people talked about the fact that she was in open relationships and things like that and like what her relational life with um Sartre was and things like that Mm -hmm. um yeah and so another person who has their ascendant here is Jada Pinkett Smith (laughs) who actually has she actually has uh Neptune and Jupiter conjunct on the ascendant (laughs) oh lord oh my god and this woman is like literally like the fact that she has a show where she just goes on and talks about really controversial topics um it's really popular because you know a lot of you know mostly non-men will um watch the show and like put in their two cents about what they think about stuff like but i also think about how there's certain elements of like her and her image and things like that because i see like neptune as like trying to present like a mirage or like what have you and i feel like there's just this image of like being a perpetually dissatisfied woman that shows up a lot with her (laughs) like especially she talks about like her relationship to um will and like you know things like that and she's always saying like really provocative things about you know their relationship and her personal development and i don't know it just comes off as somewhat controversial and it's like there's this oversharing that happens like just with jupiter being in this decade like I don't know. <laughs> mm, yeah. I um I have another ascendant example as well. I um so the artist Renee Magritte has this ascendant here, um exactly conjoined to Uranus. And he's mm-hmm. a he's a surrealist artist, just like um, you know, a contemporary of Dolly, but with a completely different style, you know, where Dolly had these very um, you know, psychedelic dreamlike paintings. Magritte always really focused on painting just super minimalist, mundane, like realist objects, um, but was constantly trying to fuck around with perceptions of reality. And so one of his most famous paintings, for example, is um, This Is Not a Pipe, um, Sisi Nepaz and Peep. And it's, it's literally really just uh, it's a painting of a pipe. And then it just says that as the caption. And um, mm-hmm. the whole point that he was like trying to draw from this is like this you know, this is, yeah, it technically isn't a pipe. It's a, it's, it's a painting of a pipe. So it's not a pipe. Um, and it's, it's supposed to kind of, his paintings are always meant to kind of provoke thoughts like that. And, um, and, you know, at the time, like he, he, you know, a lot of his art and his paintings really did take like the art world by storm. Um, I want to quickly run through the rest of my examples because I don't want to like spend mm-hmm. too much time with any of them. But um, the Catholic missionary priest Junipero Serra um, has his son in this decan. He founded the first nine of 21 Catholic missions in California at a really rapid rate as far as mission work goes. And again, this is really fucked up. He, you know, he forced indigenous people to convert to Catholicism. But I wanted to quickly throw that example um, Martin Luther has Mercury here in the fifth house, um, exactly conjoined to Neptune, and that Mercury rules his second house and eleventh house. And you know, obviously, he he's known for starting up the Protestant Reformation. But one of his big condemnations of the Catholic Church was their practice of selling indulgences. 
it was basically this practice where like rich people could buy forgiveness for the church and the church was actively soliciting this so that they could build more churches and basilicas and other, you know, just kind of filling the coffers of the church. Um, So I thought that was, you know, and obviously he really kind of started a huge revolution that really, really, really changed um, power and religion and so many things in Europe. And the last person I want to mention is um, Nicholas Copernicus has Jupiter here and it's um, conjunct the moon in the fourth house, also ruling his seventh house. Um, His model of the heliocentric universe is what triggered the Copernican revolution and the scientific (laughs) revolution. So it's yeah, kind of kind of a big fucking deal. But he actually waited to publish until after his death because he knew he knew the weight of what his findings you know basically saying that the sun is the center of the universe um were going what it was going to cause and he trusted the publication of it to a friend um and basically instructed the friend to publish this after he dies which the friend did Mm, interesting like i'm just going through some of my examples like i've noticed how like um some of my women examples especially like some of the ones that are like you know accessible to people who are like i guess our peers um also fall in this decade so like megan fox has her chart ruler saturn in the 12th house in this decade (laughs) and she describes like when she was growing up being like bullied by people um because they felt like oh, she gets along better with boys and she's, like, one of those girls who's not like other girls. And, like, um, she was, like, someone who was, like, very, like, um, I guess aggressive, assertive, like, provocative, sort of. So there's almost this, like, provocative energy to her that, like, people were just not vibing with. And so I think it's interesting that she felt, like, the outcast and, like, that she felt, like, a very... Um, polarizing person especially as a young person mm. um, which also takes me to Miley Cyrus who has her um, son <laughs> in the eighth house <clears throat> um, and I don't know like I feel like everybody's just like kind of like dissected her and all of her actions as like a person and like speculated on like her private life Um even though she comes from like you know like i think about the fact that you know her dad had that very viral like one hit wonder song like <laughs> you break your heart yeah um and how like a lot of people maybe are like critical and scrutinizing of her because they're like oh she's benefiting from nepotism right but also like you know her approach to like music her approach to this her approach to that like there's this almost like polarizing or this need to be like extra or out there mm. um Let's see. Uh, I have other examples I really want to talk about. Like, I have a bunch of other examples. Like, some of them are Mercury examples. So, the founder of Twitter, (laughs) Jack Dorsey. But also, interestingly, um, actually, no, like, so Justin Trudeau and him both have Virgo rising, ruled by Sagittarius Mercury. But, like, I think Trudeau's is in Sag 2, which we'll talk about. But, like, um, the founder of Twitter is... um, his is in this decade and i think it's interesting that people like again like criticize some of his like lack of visibility or like his private life and things like that because i know he's doing all this weird like pseudo spiritual like retreat nonsense and like all this other stuff right and Mm. he's like 
in crypto and like making all these questionable like decisions. I don't know if he's gone to the extent of like, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg, like out here, like buying whole islands and shit. But like, because his Mercury is in the fourth house, I wouldn't be surprised if like people found out things about like the ways he's been involved in like real estate or like property or like land ownership and um using his position to like make things happen on that front i don't think that's come up with him but like um at some point if that does like i won't be surprised um britney spears also has her mercury in the third house conjunct uranus and you know she's recently been freed and I'm really happy her conservatorship is over. Something that I do wonder is if over the next few years, um, she'll move into a position where she can be more of an advocate for people um, who are also in the same situation just because um, Mercury rules her ninth house. Mm. Uh, and I think about the fact that it also rules the um, 12th house, but from the third and like how maybe... I wonder if, like, you know, when she comes up to her next, um, either her ninth house perfection year or her next, like, third house year, if she will... Actually, wait a second. Mercury's in the opposite sign. She's going to be starting a fifth house year. Oh, oh my God. Yes. Okay. So, one thing you can do with perfections is you can rotate, like, it's basically the whole chart rotating one sign over per year. And if you use whole sign houses, this is fucking great because each perfection year, um, a whole sign house will come to the sign that has its ruler. And so I think two years from now, like at the end of like 2023, she'll move into a seventh house year. And so what this means is that the ninth house will meet its ruler in the third. And so the ninth house is about publishing and things. And like, because it's a Gemini ninth house ruled by Mercury, doubly so. Mm. I won't be surprised if she's like either like giving inner, like really, really heavy hitting interviews or like writing a book about her experience in the conservatorship. Yeah. And it makes people really, really think about like the messed up ways that people treat those with like um either mental health issues but also like people um in general like when it comes to like how the medical institution is like not always the best at handling people and like leaving people feeling disempowered like i think if she writes a book in the next two years or publishes one do not be surprised like yeah. <laughs> i'm serious yeah no yeah. i i think that's a good point i you know, I, I think a lot of the la examples you just like listed off just now are like it's uh, it, it, there's a lot there's there's quite a few Saturn and Sag examples like with Saturn in that first decan and so um, I have I, I just kind of did a quick look and it's like oh actually there are a lot of like women pop stars with that placement mm -hmm. um, who have kind of a similar vibe to like Miley Cyrus or like Britney Spears and um, you know the other examples you gave like Lady Gaga has Saturn here. Um, um, yeah, you mentioned Miley Cyrus. I think Kesha's. No, actually, Kesha's got something in, like, later. But anyway, yeah, there is there's definitely a lot of, like, it's, like, that 19... It's anywhere, pretty much a lot of people are born anywhere between, like, 90 and 86 to, like, the early 90s. No, early 90s? Late 80s? Something like that. Who kind of have that Saturn mm -hmm. and Sag placement. Yeah, no, for sure. And, like... Um... Let me see. 
I mean, other people who kind of have that similar vibe to like Megan Fox include like um, Zoe Kravitz. She has uh, a Mercury Kazemi actually in this deck in, in the third house as well. And I don't know, I just think about how like her proximity, like because of like, you know, who her parents were like and the school she was able to go to, she was able to like... Um, she was able to like I guess build like an acting career mm-hmm. and stuff like that so that kind of shows up I don't think she has a Leo midheaven I think she has a Cancer midheaven and I forget how this aspects her moon which is her 10th house ruler but like I think that's interesting and she kind of like I think the roles that she plays like usually kind of like a sort of edgy like provocative uh like woman shows up in like you know the role she tends to play at least that's like my experience of her acting but except like this one role like i'm thinking of what's the show um fuck it was this really popular show that had like reese witherspoon and um alexander skarsgård and like it was messed up oh i don't know i'll think of yeah i'll think of the name i'll think of the name I'll think of the name, but um, <laughs> fuck. Let me just look at her bio and stop being a weirdo. <laughs> she was in Big Little Lies. Okay, mm, yes. Yeah. I love that show so much. It was so problematic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, other than that, like, I have other examples, like, but I don't think I want to go into them. Nah, I don't want to go into them. Do you want to go I want on to, go to Sag 2. Sag 2? Yeah. Okay, let's start Sag, Sag 2. Sag 2 is great. <laughs> great. So Sag 2 is moon uh, ruled by the moon and Mars, depending on which rulership system you use. And Austin calls this one the bridal. And um, yeah, we're going back to, again, there's always just going to be horse imagery with Sag, but... Okay, in the previous decade, you had this like quick, decisive, unified action toward a given target. You're moving really, really quickly. This decade's more about okay, let's let's slow it down so you don't like crash and burn, and um, but still kind of mm-hmm. maintain that that act that activity that action. Um, so basically, trying to keep the how do you keep this this fast horse on track? Um, how do you maintain that purpose and control that unity? Um, you know, we talked about, like Mo had mentioned earlier, that maybe this is the li- the less ferocious of the, the Sag Deccans. Mm-hmm. But I think they- there's still some ferocity. Like, Austin um, Austin calls this one the Honey Badger Deccan. And you all can wiki what a Honey Badger is if you don't know. <laughs> they, are. Um, they are known to, you can find them in Africa, and they have been known to fight lions and hyenas, despite being like an eighth of the size of a lion. <laughs> Oh my god, you guys need to go to YouTube and watch that video. Honey Badger just doesn't give a shit because that's like <laughs> that's literally Honey Badger. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to expand on that a little more later, but um, just kind of so, um, the other thing he kind of mentions is that this second is a lot about protecting something that's worth it and he compares it to cancer decan 2 which he called the wall garden that's a mercury mars ruled 
Deccan. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one is a moon Mars ruled. Um, though Cancer is a moon ruled sign, you know, by domicile. Um, yeah, and then and then the card associated with this is the Nine of Wands, which is known as the Lord of Strength. And I um, I like this card. I actually draw it pretty often. My Saturn is in this Deccan, so I do have a lot to say about this one. Um, but let, let me just pause there and see what you have to add to this. I mean, I love the, like, protective energy, like, especially because, like, when you think about the moon and Mars together, like, the moon and Mars, when they come together at all, like, there's this sort of, like, appetitive or appetitive hunger-related thing. It's like, I'm going to do what it takes to, like, keep or get mine, right? Um, because there's almost like a like a need and so it's more of like a defensive like ferocity because when you think about like the moon and mars which in the western like hellenistic tradition they're nocturnal planets so they tend towards more of that like sort of defensive stance rather than being offensive Mm -hmm. which is more diurnal i would say Mm -hmm. um i definitely agree with you there um Though, like, when I read some of the other descriptions, like, especially, like, from Vedic astrology, like, you can see that there's, like, you can see what I mean by, like, there's less of a ferocity there. And it's interesting because I have my, um, my, uh, chart ruler here. Mm. So, like, and my midheaven. So, I'm, like, (laughs) I'm, like, yeah. Yeah. I, um... You know, the High Priestess and Temperance are associated with the Nine of Wands. And mm-hmm. I like I like um, Susan Chang's take that um, this card, like the Nine of Wands makes me think of, it's just like the strong silent type, right? Of like, the way she puts it mm-hmm. is like, just, just like the High Priestess, this card knows a lot and will say very little like they, they they'll know a lot more than they let on and because of knowing so much they know exactly when it is to act and i think that's where some of the defensiveness comes on is like well they're mm-hmm. they will be prepared for that moment and they will also be versatile and ready to act um you know just like the, the way the moon the moon is just so versatile um because it just accepts that change is um inevitable yeah no and i really love that she brought that up because like she references like the tree of life kabbalah thing where like the path to like where nine sits on the tree of life um is like towards the end of like the line that starts where the um high priestess does and it's almost like there's this like journey or traversing something to seek enlightenment or like a deep mystery and like the way i saw like her description was like it's almost like through this like lunar cycling which is like knowing the cycles of like you know when the tides go high or low or when the moon is full or not and um things like that it's that tacit learning that learning through experience and exposure that like allows you the power over circumstances which will allow you to have um resilience or bravery because like that's another thing that comes up mm-hmm. with this decan. like there seems to be this like needing to like um be brave and take a risk because it's like you know what like everything's a cycle and it's like i need to figure out like um when i want to jump on the cycle and i think that some of that undertone comes through in the fact that you know sagittarius is a jupiter ruled sign and like luck which i would associate with jupiter and fortune which is kind of like lunar as a concept 
are like kind of these like sort of like, oh, I need to, you know, jump on this circle or wheel of fate. I'm thinking of the wheel of fortune, which is funny. <laughs> um, and like hop on at the best time in hopes of getting somewhere better. Like it's not guaranteed, but like if you can anticipate which part of the wave to ride on, like you can, um, you can like, you know, get somewhere pretty good. And I think the, you know, the nine of wands and this uh, middle decan of Sagittarius kind of describes that. Yeah. On the bravery thing. So as I said, my, my Saturn, I have Saturn here. And I just wrapped up, I would call this three Saturn ruled perfection years because um, Saturn rules my ninth and 10th house. So I had those, I just got out of my 10th house perfection year, but my eighth house is where my Saturn is. So I really have had three back to back years of just Saturn activated. <laughs> and then prior to that, I had my Saturn return. So like Saturn just hasn't given me a break the past several years, mm -hmm. but especially these last three years. When I think about what are just some of the biggest lessons I learned these past three years, I think about how um, sometime last year, you know, when we were like, it's still in the beginning, like maybe like a few months into COVID and I was really, really struggling with just living alone for the first time in the middle of a fucking pandemic. I... I read this um, essay by a woman named Cheryl Strayed that was oh, that was uh, th that was titled "Be Brave Enough to Break Your Own Heart," and that just like ended up just being my mantra for the rest of my Saturn perfection years. And I feel like that quote just like super super fits this decan and my Saturn in this decan. Like I've had to you know being able to be brave enough to make those hard ch choices that like are not going to be easy for you. They're very likely not going to be easy for other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my big Saturn lesson. Yeah. I think it's interesting how like we both have like the, um, like we get the two Saturn years and then you have your Saturn in the first Jupiter world sign. I had mine after. So it's like I went two Saturn years and then, oh crap another Saturn year, even though it's technically ruled by Jupiter. Um, Jupiter for me is in that middle decan of um, Sagittarius and it rules my chart. It rules my midheaven. And, you know, like for me, uh, especially like once I started looking at the uh, descriptions, I'm going to read for you in a second. Um, there's elements of like going for something that's like big or wanting to be like generous i think there's an understated like generosity that comes through with this decan and just this decan of sagittarius in particular mm -hmm. it's almost like if you think about the journey through the decans it's like you provoked somebody and got into a fight and it's like in the nine of uh wands slash second decan of sagittarius you get revealed the treasure that you wanted to fight for mm. And so it's almost like this like call to arms or this like motivation for like doing things. And then like in that last decade, you see whether you can fight to win it or not or fight to keep it. Right. Mm. And so I feel like a lot of my ideal career involves like one advocating for people who can't advocate for themselves and two just wanting to throw resources at people i want to do that that's like my whole um reason for being basically um and i think it's interesting like 
how there are elements of like resilience and endurance and it's like how much harder can you like push yourself um it shows up with these last two decans but like i think the beginnings of like okay this is why this matters just one more just like you know take two steps out of your comfort zone and see how like good it will feel and mm -hmm. I, I don't know about you pal but like i really feel like that's been characteristic of i guess my career journey yes more or less Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was I was talking to Mo earlier about this that um, we were talking about the difference between like um, you know fire Saturn versus like water Saturn. You know because we both have um, our Saturn in these Jupiter ruled signs, and like in my particular case, like not only is my Saturn in Sag, but it's ruled by Jupiter and Aries. So it varies uh, much is like okay yeah let's just like fuck it let's just do the brave or different thing outside of my comfort zone let's just dive right into it um can, it's often what characterizes like my career decision making um i think the other thing too that i, I like that susan chang makes the comparison between the seven of wands versus the nine of wands because both deal with conflict mm -hmm. but in very different ways and the way she puts it i think i mean i can't say this in a better way is that the seven of wands is like the uphill battle whereas the nine of wands is the light at the end of the tunnel like the nine of wands really is as you said like okay i just need to like kind of really stir up that last reserve of energy and just do it like i'm almost there whereas the seven of wands has like a lot more uncertainty and even when you look at at least with the writer weight artwork when you look at the two cards side by side like neither card neither person's having very much fun but you could see at least in the, the the person with the nine of wands face like there there is a seriousness but there's a way more calm than the seven of wands that's for sure yeah 100 percent. i can also read descriptions if you yes. want me to yeah please okay so <clears throat> sorry i was looking at statutory i don't know why okay so Ibn Ezra says, a beautiful woman with a lot of hair wearing clothes and earrings in her ear and in front of her there is an open chest containing golden ornaments. The Picatrix says, a man who leads cows holding and having a monkey and a bear before him. And this is a face of fear, lamentation, mourning, misery, and inquietude. Sorry. Agrippa says, in the second face ascendeth a woman weeping and covered with clothes. The operation of this is for sadness and fear of his own body. Uh, and the Yavana Jataka says, the second decanate in Sagittarius is a woman who is charming, graceful, and beautiful. She is seated upon an auspicious throne and is pale with a golden-hued garment. Opening a golden casket and a heap of jewels, she takes pleasure in distributing its contents. Like, I mean, that, that last description, that's literally all I want to be. I just want to, like, have nice things and give people nice things and make people feel good. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but some of my examples are, like, people who have suffered, like, because people have just handed them stuff. Like, there are a lot of people who may have had, like, drug issues and things. Like, mm. I have a couple of not not drug stuff. But I do definitely have a lot of examples of people who've suffered. Not to scare anyone listening with if they have placements. I mean we both have placements in this decade. Oh, yeah. bad, we're, we're doing fine. Yes. We're doing fine. <laughs> um you can go first on your examples though. Uh okay so what do Liz Taylor, Diana, Princess of Wales, Kim Kardashian and AOC have in common? They all have their ascendant in this decade. Oh. And I would argue that they're all some pretty glamorous women, okay? Who people, you know, want to give things. I mean, 
I would argue AOC is basically just political Kim K. Their charts are so freaking similar and like they basically serve the same function, right? <laughs> like they use their platforms to like generate engagement or buzz, which, you know, does get them like, like people want to give them things like because Kim is an influencer, people just give her stuff because AOC is a politician. I mean, I mean, like, yes, she's like, you know, a progressive, but she's still a politician. People give her shit because she's a politician. Like, I mean, come on. Like, it's true. Um, you know, um, Liz Taylor and Diana, like, I mean, look at them. Like, they were pretty glamorous women. Yes. <laughs> People wanted to give them things because, one, they were beautiful. And two, they were actually, like, really generous. And I think of the generosity that comes up with the Yavana Jataka description a lot because, um, the thing is, say what you want about any of these four women, like at various points of their life, they were involved in giving back. Mm. Um, and that shows a lot. <laughs> um, probably a little less with AOC because, you know, she's still relatively young and she has time to grow into her role as a politician. But like, honestly, I only see her getting more glamorous, <laughs> especially with Venus in the first house. Yes. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. If you thought she was going anywhere, she's not. <laughs> yeah i agree i don't think she's going anywhere either i remember looking i was trying to look at her solar return charts like pretty far out and stuff and maybe it's not this presidential mm -hmm. election but i no. maybe i think some future presidential elections we'll see but no i remember we were doing that and i think it wasn't to like no she's got she's got like at least a couple of decades yeah but like she's gonna be like around yes we actually should really look at her zodiacal releasing but anyway we should um <laughs> i have a quick example that's somewhere along those lines but megan the stallion has jupiter in this decan and her rising her her birth time's not confirmed um but she has stated on twitter that she's a taurus she's a taurus rising i fucking believe mm -hmm. it she's got to be a fucking taurus i do rising. too <laughs> i do too it makes like I, I still can't believe I was born like three months after Megan Thee Stallion. That, that, like, that like blows my freaking mind. But yeah, like I, when she said she was a Taurus rising, I was like, I believe this. Yes. I really do. I absolutely believe it. She, so it's, so if she is a Taurus rising, then that would put Jupiter in her eighth house, also ruling mm. her 11th. And, um, you know, there, there's some of the obvious significations. Like eighth house is like other people's money and she loves rapping and talking about taking men's money which she should <laughs> <laughs> but also being in her oh own bag God. you know she's like all about that um and then i think some of the sadder significations of the eighth house you know the eighth house does signify death and unfortunately she's had to experience a lot at such a young age like her father died when she mm -hmm. was a freshman in high school and then her mom and grandma died her in the mom same just month. died yeah yeah they died in the same yeah. month when she was 24 which was what 2019 so not too long like two ago. years ago yeah. yeah yeah really fucking sad but yeah, that was my question. Yeah, no, uh, you know what's funny? Okay, so like speaking of other glamorous women, you know it's comical. So uh Naomi Campbell and Tyra Banks both have luminaries in this decade. <laughs> Naomi Campbell has her in Luna in the twelfth, um, mm. in this decade, and uh Tyra Banks has her um son, which is uh conjunct Neptune. Her Neptune's in the first decade though. Um and her son is uh in the sixth house and i think it's interesting how they both have opposite ascendants right <laughs> yeah um 
they also technically have opposite sons because Naomi Campbell's a freaking Gemini. <laughs> and I think about how like the chokehold, their whole beef had on fashion <laughs> in the early like what late 90s early 2000s like because um one thing I think about is the resilience so like I think about the fact that Naomi Campbell had has had to overcome a lot of racism in terms of like her involvement in the fashion industry um she is somebody who has you know because uh the moon rules her seventh house and things like that um she you know, she has struggled with, you know, drug abuse because, you know, people just hand her things and mm-hmm. give her things. And she probably, like, you know, was exposed to a lot of, um, what's it called, like, crazy lifestyles and stuff because of, like, the partnerships and contracts she's had. Um, she's also had a lot of, like, eagle, uh, sorry, legal issues because of, like, you know, like, her anger stuff. So, like, the, the, that's, again, speaking to some of the, like sag and anger and like doing what it takes to like defend like your own whatever it doesn't take a lot to piss her off which is interesting uh, and i remember like remember how she and tyra did that sit down on tyra's that then show yeah like, their whole beef and she was like tyra's like you said all these things to me and <laughs> naomi's like what are you talking about i don't remember that and i think um knowing how she's like had all these issues with drug abuse in particular i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these like tirades or episodes were triggered like by that yeah Uh, i think it's interesting how their luminaries are like basically like more or less conjunct if not like co-present in the same uh decan and how like i guess tyrus tried to like emulate her in in a way Mm -hmm. or was compared to her a lot throughout her like career because you know like Naomi like basically broke the mold for a lot of other black models um, at a time where like there weren't a lot of black models I think it's interesting how like both of them have tried to like pave the way for other black models like coming behind them like Tyra through her show and um, Naomi through like participation in other shows or like contests I think it's interesting that they've both have done that so I think of like both of them playing the role of like the glamorous woman who's like here you can be this person too i'm like laying down the gauntlet it's like you've already like come this far like you can do this too but i also think about the fact that like we a lot of us like i remember last year during the pandemic a lot of people were re-watching um what's it called uh america's next top model <laughs> and they yeah. realized how problematic tyra was yes! as well yes <laughs> <laughs> Like, and I, I found that, like, people who have placements in this, like, middle decade can kind of, like, try and, like, push you to, like, d- like, it's like, okay, if you really want this, you need to prove why you want this, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, what's it called? I, um have my 10th house ruler, which is also my chart ruler in this decade. And I've noticed that a lot of the like mentor-like or boss-like figures have been like low-key, like, I don't want to say like gaslighting or abusive, (laughs) but problematic. And um, have tried to be like, okay, if you really want this, you need to prove it. You need to prove it. Like, 
you need to like do x y and z and they're always trying to push and push you so like there's this subtle like provocation but it's more enticing than provoking like you know whereas whereas the first decan is like provocative mm-hmm. this one's a little more enticing i would say hmm yeah yeah um my other i wanted to do two sun examples because both of these mm-hmm. women have unfortunately like have like a lot of like patterns similar patterns in their lives but britney spears mm-hmm. um who we've already talked about yeah. has um her son here while you know we already mentioned mercury and uranus and sag one um so she's got this son ruling her 11th house um and then there's a there's a famous sculptor named camille claudel who also has her mm-hmm. son here um with jupiter uh, ruling her 10th and 5th and look there's there's a lot more going on in these two women's charts like i don't want to simplify it to just the sun being in this decan um and i've done i've done twitter threads on like pretty like detailed twitter threads on both but i found it really interesting that both um you know in britney's britney's is much more well known right especially now with the conservatorship right she basically was um you know everything in her life was controlled by this conservatorship which was like run by her father and she's been in this legal battle for so many years now and it's only now finally getting out um of like her conservatorship being altered i did find it really interesting that it was during her third house perfection year um where the sun is at is when she did the official court filing to have that conservatorship altered and um it's only now like right before this fifth house year starting so she's in a fourth house year right now where mm-hmm. she she's been granted that so she's ending this fourth house year and as you said you know earlier if, you, you, if she comes out with any books or anything like that like don't be surprised in this fifth house year um camille claudel went through something you know so she was a she was a famous sculptor who um was known as both an associate and a lover to auguste rodin who's the famous sculptor who did the thinker like that famous statue of that man thinking and um but the real fucked up thing is camille claudel actually like a lot of works that have been attributed to rodin are actually hers um because patriarchy sucks (laughs) and so um but she was a very very talented sculptor but unfortunately also like had a family who really spent their life trying to control her um, and unfortunately, like they did end up succeeding at the end of her life. They were able to get her brother and her mother got her institutionalized and she was like in a mental institution for the rest of her life, um, which mm-hmm. is really kind of fucked up. But um, yeah, those are my son examples. Mm, I have a Venus example. So Jane Fonda, <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows her now for like getting arrested at climate protests, like literally everywhere. <laughs> Um, also she's like still fabulous to this like very day she has venus in the 12th house um and i thought it was interesting because like i've been just like reading her uh bio and like at some point during her like acting career she like you know she was willing to alienate viewers just because like you know she was interested in like really doing certain performance as well like the thing is you know people liked her because you know she fit into this nice like role that they wanted in like the 60s you know where they wanted women to look a certain way act a certain way but like you know she took on more interesting roles and i thought it was interesting how like um especially as you know the u.s was going to war in um vietnam uh she actually became like supremely political 
and she started i mean she was already at a point in her career where she was like such a good actress where she could be selective about roles but i think she like basically alienated herself from hollywood for a time probably until like you know like basically like the late 80s and 90s um she alienated herself from hollywood for like some of her like political um standpoints and i think she was blacklisted from hollywood at one point Mm. (laughs) wow just because um you know she was pretty um outspoken though like you know she was still like willing to take on these like um controversial controversial roles and like um do a bunch of controversial things um and i think it's interesting how she's used her platform to do a lot of that um yeah i don't know like i yeah she's like crazy activistic yeah, she, she, I, I, I love that she, you know it's it's she's been like that for a while, like even like beyond mm-hmm. just, like the more recent things. Like I actually learned about her like anti-war activism first. But. Yeah, like, um, yeah, no, and like at some point, you know, she was surveilled by the government. Yes, <laughs> because she was like really like out there so um yeah no but honestly um jane fonda is goals literal goals (laughs) i have a couple quick venus examples um you know susan chang included a teddy roosevelt quote in this chapter the speak softly and carry with a big stick you'll go far and this Mm -hmm. was in reference to what we were saying earlier that this can be kind of like the strong and silent like archetype fits with this decan Mm. but um teddy roosevelt does have venus in this decade <laughs> i love it um, i love it and then my other example is i hope i'm saying her name right she's a she's a classical actress um her name is hedy lamar and she was also <gasps> yes also very she's very her. very glam and beautiful and um you know had been in a number of different films i would say maybe her most famous at least like in, in you know my <laughs> I wasn't around when she was actually alive. It was um, Samson and Delilah? Like I remember seeing like a lot of images in her. She, she played Jeli- Delilah, but I wanted to mention her because she has Venus in the sixth, the Venus retrogrades in the sixth house, ruling her eleventh and fourth. And she was also like a really brilliant inventor. And um, you know, alongside this composer named George Anthill. She was able to develop mm-hmm. the technology that, like, I can't go too much in the science of this because I don't fully understand it, but the, she she invented technology that is the reason why we now have Bluetooth, GPS, and Wi-Fi technology today. And it was used to aid, like, the um, Allies' efforts against Axis powers during World War II. Um, a lot of this was made possible because of her romantic relationship, which eventually turned into a friendship with Howard Hughes. And so, yeah. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Mm, uh, I have two moon examples. One of them is Michael Jordan, aka the goat. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to the LeBron fans out there. He is no Jordan. Um, (laughs) The thing is, like, um, it's interesting because uh, just like reading about him, like, it's just like, so his moon is the chart ruler in the sixth house in this decade. And like, obviously this dude's ego was like astronomical but like it made sense and like people would describe like 
his like crazy competitive competitiveness but also his work ethic and apparently he used to like <clears throat> use like you know how i was saying like people around like me like bosses and things will like do things or say things that are problematic in order to like motivate you to be better mm. um michael jordan was somebody who used a lot of this energy to like fuel his performance and something that he would do is like you know people if people perceive this weakness in me i will do everything to correct it mm. or like if i'm doing this weak thing like i'm not like i don't want it hard enough and what's interesting is that like when he was on the bulls like the franchise started building around him as a player and they had to get rid of players who couldn't compete with him <laughs> um uh the thing is like apparently like when it came to him as he was like both strong as an offensive and defensive player but like while he had to study a lot to like improve his defensive skills like as an offensive player he was more instinct focused which i feel is very much like that middle decan of sag it's improvisation yes. and like trying to see what you can do as like a situation changes so that you can come out on top right like um, and what's funny is that even though people compare him to people like Kobe or LeBron, uh, he doesn't like, he, apparently he didn't like need to shoot as much as they did, like in order to score. Mm. Um, so he made sure that he was more selective about the shots that he took so that he could make the shots that he did take instead of just taking as many shots as possible. Ah. And it's like, those are reasons why he will always be the GOAT. There's <laughs> nobody doing it like him. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I love it. Um, oh, my God. I have a moon. I have one moon example. Um, Mozart has his moon here. And it's exactly like his mm. Pluto and rules his 11th house. And, you know, he's known as a child prodigy, right? Which he was. But, um. I think the little less known things about him is just he just because you're a child prodigy doesn't mean you're not going to like struggle. <laughs> like um, he actually really did have a lot of issues with finances and his health. Mm -hmm. um, with, and I think that Pluto conjunction really isn't helping. Like it's an exact conjunction. Um, he was known for working extremely hard and very, very quickly when deadlines were approaching, which I think was also implying he was probably a procrastinator. <laughs> um, but I feel like it just fits in this deck into just like, okay, when you know the lights at the end of the tunnel, you're able to kind of just really like gather up those reserves to just push forward and like get going. Um, and then I think this is just like, you know, random facts about Mozart that people don't know. Um, you're just going along with just like the Sag being like the clown sign, <laughs> like that stereotype. But Mozart loved practical jokes. Like he had a like close circle of friends who he loved playing practical jokes on people with. And he also um, really liked poop jokes. Like it shows up in his compositions. Like he had a very <laughs> childish sense of humor. But yes, that's <laughs> your Mozart fact yeah um so my other moon example was uh oh my god like rachel dolezal oh no <laughs> i know yeah. we all forgot about her but unfortunately she is a sagittarius moon she has her moon conjunct mercury in this decan oh, and it's in the third house and i think it's notable how like um she is somebody who is known for um what's it called uh pretending that 
she is a black person or like a biracial black person. And, um, you know, claiming all this um, ancestry that's not hers. So apparently she said she was African-American, Native American, German, Czech, Swedish, Jewish, and Arabic. And it's like, what? Um, but I think what's interesting is that if you look at her history and trajectory, like before she was like pretending to be like a black person she most notably sued howard for discrimination against her wow i mean she wasn't successful um she said that she was denied scholarship funds um and a ta position because she was white uh, and she said that her removal of artwork from an exhibition was like because she was white and so i'm wondering if like in order to like infiltrate these like spaces that were not meant for her um despite being able to attend howard university because like even though um howard is an hbcu like there are plenty of people and it's not like a huge population just a small population of like non-black people who do attend howard and other hbcus around the country but for some reason she felt like she was you know entitled to um being in the space and so i don't know like she maybe felt like she had to take on this role <laughs> um god <laughs> yeah i i don't know I, it, it's it's just it's something and i think it's interesting how like she gained a lot of because like the moon rules her um midheaven and her 10th house and so like I think it's interesting how, let me see, how old is she? Uh, she's 44. Uh, how old was she in 2015? Mm, that was six years ago. She would have, she would have been, would she have been like coming 48? off a 10th house year? 38. So the year before her 10th house year. Um, it would have been, Oh, wow, she's a Scorpio son, too. Okay, so she would have been, yeah. Like, just before her 10th house year, that's when this whole controversy controversy happened, like, around, like, you know, what is her actual identity and this, that, and other. So I think, I think it's interesting that around, like, because um, I remember it dragging on into, like, 2016 and things like that. Yeah. Like, her, like whether she was like black or not and like being transracial and like this whole all these conversations about race and things like that like I, I thought it was really really strange and then oh in her actual 10th house year what she did was she changed her name to a Nigerian name um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, because she wanted to go along with this um identification or something like that and identifying with cultures that aren't hers and so like i think that the moon mercury conjunction in the like in the third house you know with mercury also ruling like the ninth and the twelfth is like her t going to such extreme lengths to like performing cultures that she doesn't belong to so she can infiltrate spaces she doesn't belong to i don't know why I don't know why she does that, but like, anyway. Yeah, I don't understand either. Um, 
<laughs> it makes me so I know I know someone I, actually I really don't want to go too much in the weeds of this we can talk about this more in detail later but I know someone who is kind of similar to this not blackface but like um like with indigeneity specifically and now I just really want to look at their chart <laughs> Um, <laughs> um oh god i really need to look at their chart just anyway mm-hmm. um i had one last example and it was mars because this is a mars ruled deccan too and i um so jacob Grimm of the brothers Grimm, he's one of the brothers <laughs> um has his mars here in the fourth house ruling his third house and eighth house and um you know, Grimm's fairy tales came out of Jacob's inspiration to collect and publish folk stories. And, you know, I think it's a common misconception today that because we we view this as like, oh, my God, these are kids stories and they're so fucking gory and inappropriate. Like, how are these kids stories? It's like, no, actually, they didn't think they were, those were kids stories back then either. <laughs> like, there's a lot of controversy around the Brothers Grimm from the very beginning. Mm. Um, but um, I, I think it fits this deck in because it, you know, the the point of these folk stories was always like it was always didactic and meant to teach like some kind of like moral like around you know and it's almost always like some kind of like gruesome survival tale whether you're trying to escape a woman who eats like cannibalistically like eats children or Mm. um you know escaping evil stepmothers and stuff but um but yeah yeah no the um his he has mars here uh Last example for me, I have another Mars example. So Harry, the Duke of Sussex, actually has Mars in the 12th house, ruling the 4th. Wow. Um, But also the 11th. And I think what's interesting is, like, how that whole, like, I think during his 12th house year, actually, he and Meghan Markle stepped down as uh, senior royals because of the lack of support from family. And you'll see that. What I like to say to people is that I feel like his Taurus I see is like the family he deliberately started with Megan and their children, but like the fourth whole sign house is his family, like back in the UK. So for one, I think of like the fact that I've I've seen the twelfth house show up as like island type things, and the UK is an island, yes. whether people recognize that or not. Islands are not all tropical. Yeah. Like there are <laughs> islands everywhere. Um <laughs> And, you know, he left the island because, you know, of bad press, you know, dogging out his wife, which makes sense, and also potentially threatening, you know, his children and well-being. And I think of the fact that, like, there are rumors that, you know, his family and, like, people within that household and the organization, because the 12th house is also, like, organizations, because the family runs like this organization, right? Basically, there are people behind closed doors, like acting against his self-interest. Mm-hmm. And um, I think of the fact that he like literally left during his 12th house year <laughs> with that Mars thing activated. He's like, fuck this, I'm out, basically. That, that felt pretty loud to me. Um, I think... I can't remember like what happens for him perfections wise, but I feel like that Mars placement now is being activated because it also does rule the 11th and like, you know, changing his relationship to the media has been a huge thing. Like he hates the media. Mm -hmm. He's always like hyper vigilant around them 
because of what happened to his mom, which is also like part of like where that fourth house, 11th house connection ties in. Because, you know, he believes the media killed his mother. Yes. Uh, which I would agree with because it's like in the time they could have helped her like out of the vehicle, like they were just taking pictures, right? Yes. yes. They didn't do anything. And so like he's rightfully hyper vigilant around them. And so like I feel like that Mars is doing what it is needs to do to protect his family protect his private life and um you know prevent that kind of tragedy from happening again but i also feel like that's like a huge like signature of trauma in his chart in particular um and i think that you know like especially because he's in his like second house perfection year and uh the 11th house is meeting that it's ruler in the 12th and so like him changing his relationship to media as a result and maybe having a more controlled relationship with media is like gonna become more obvious like for much of 2022 especially because you know he is writing a book like mm -hmm. a memoir um you know him and megan are doing more like engagement more work and things like that and they're doing a lot more charity as well um so i feel like that's only going to become louder as the rest of the year goes on yeah all right. You ready for Sag 3? Yep. Okay. <laughs> hey. um, yeah, Sag 3. <laughs> oh, Sag 3. Um, where do we start with Sag 3? Well, this one is ruled by Saturn and Sun. And Austin calls this one the horse skull. <laughs> which is um, there's just death imagery always with all the mutable third decans. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he Austin focuses a lot on this decan being as well as like all the mutable third decans as being about harsh endings. And in this particular yep. one, it's about like, okay, you've been speeding forward very, very quickly with a unified goal and focus. And um, now you're at the end of the road. Um, it's very it's a very all or nothing Deccan and I think some of the ferocity and the violence that we've been thinking about with this with Sag I think really falls a lot in this particular Deccan. Yeah, this Deccan is so harsh. Like I don't know if you guys have noticed um throughout the series because we had like two other Saturn Sun Deccans. Um, the first one was in Gemini 3, actually. Um, and then the last one was uh, Leo 1. But there's this like competitive and intensive like ferocity, but I feel like that really comes to a head in this last Deccan of Sagittarius. Like, whereas in Gemini, um, three it was more about needing to kill the bad twin or like kill all the vices that are preventing you from being great so like because it's prime like it's like the chaldean ruler was the sun whereas the triplicity ruler was saturn it's mm -hmm. like you're setting you're shedding those saturnian limitations to like reveal the essence of that which it is that you truly want to project which is the sun uh and then you get to leo one which is like realizing that in order to project greatness you have to compete with others or refine that imagery which is like very saturn sun <laughs> however i feel like the combination in this decan is like less refined 
<laughs> it's it's more about like are you worthy of you know the glory or are you going to be crushed by the weight of um failure at yes. this point i'm very excited like, about the examples for this because i have really good ones but yeah um you know the way susan chang had put it when you know she writes about the ten of wands which is known as the lord of oppression is like there was somewhere along the lines and it probably was leo one where someone said failure is not an option and then now we're this is the this is this is that end of the road where we're like okay mm -hmm. um is this mm -hmm. going to be your greatest victory or is this going to be an epic fail um, it could really go either way. And then I think, you know, when I think a lot of times when, when readers look at the Ten of Wands, they often think about their own, like, like just what they're overwhelmed with and burdened with. I mean, I, I, I've, I've done that myself, even just I draw this card way more often than I would like to admit. Um, oh, me too. <laughs> but, um, which just goes to show how overwhelmed both of us are. But yep. I really like to that Susan Chang talks about, um, you know, the, with the Lord of Oppression, it's not just ourselves being oppressed. Like we, this Deccan can also signify like, how are we oppressing other people? And she brings mm -hmm. up that, that she looked up the etymology of fascism and that um, <laughs> it comes from a phrase, like a bundle of sticks. Like it's like, wow, yep. this tracks way too hard. <laughs> you know, it was interesting how I remember there were certain people in with placements in Leo one, I'm thinking of David Bowie, for example, mm -hmm. who like liked fascistic imagery. And I can't help but think of like, how the Saturn Sun dichotomy, like, because I see like the Saturn and the Sun as being in their own dichotomy, just like Saturn and the Moon are in their own dichotomy in ways. And like, I know people describe, you know, the Sun Saturn in terms of like the Leo Aquarius axis as being like selfhood versus the collective, but it's almost like the needs of the ego versus the needs of the collective. And when you try to merge those energies, like what Saturn and um, Leo struggles with especially is like projecting their own egoic struggle onto the collective and its desires or needs. It's like what I think is going on with me is going on with the collective and I need to like bend the collective desires to my will to achieve whatever. And I feel like a lot of these undertones do come up with this particular deck in the Sag. Like, um, I really liked what she was saying about like how there's a stripping of humanity and autonomy, whether you are in the role of tyrant or dictator or the one who is oppressed mm -hmm. because your role is only defined in relationship to the other person. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, it's more obvious with the person who's under someone else's foot or thumb for the person who is like in power. It's like, you only have power so long as you're stepping on somebody else you take away like the ability to step on someone else and you are nothing. You have nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the cards, the major arcana cards associated with 10 of wands is the world because the world signifies Saturn and temperance. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, I, um, 
you know, they compare it to like, it's like, okay, like you're carrying the weight of the entire world on a long distance hike. And, um, and you know, when you, when you look at the imagery, the right or right imagery of 10 of wands, you see someone who's carrying like 10 sticks in a very, or 10 wands in a very, very awkward way where, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, no matter what, like those, those wands are going to be fall. They're, they're going to fall. They're going to fall, like, no matter mm-hmm. what you end up doing. And now it's just more of a question of, like, where are you going to drop them? Like, which direction are they going to fall? Um, yeah. I think on the day-to-day for me, I've found that, because, well, again, I, I draw this way too often. Like, I've found that the simplest resolution when I draw this card is to just delegate or let go of some yeah. work that I have to do with that day. Yeah, no, like, when it's shown up for me, it's like... I usually, I think it's one of the cards I draw reversed a lot, actually. Um, And I think, like, now that I'm looking back, because I've asked a lot about, like, my grad project, like, realizing how a lot of that's mapping onto uh, the phrase, you've lost the plot, like, because I feel like I'm working under somebody who has all these elaborate ideas and wants to do all these glorious things, but it's, like, at the end of the day, like, how realistic is this and it's like when everything's made out to be do or die like all there is to do is die (laughs) like because it's not it's not gonna go anywhere and it's like i really like what austin says about uh rider vehicle dynamics because it's like they both can't survive you gotta pick one like you you know what i mean it's like sure like um you get to the end you get to the finish line but there's a what I find with like the uh, mutable decans, the last ones, always there's always some kind of sacrifice. There's always this yes. connotation of sacrifice, mm-hmm. and it's like, do you want to sacrifice yourself and go down in infamy or glory because you did the thing, or do you want to preserve yourself even if you don't get the glory? Like, sure, you don't get the glory, but like, you know, um, I also think about how Austin says like a man wearing a crown and bashing someone else's head in um assassinations um murders of kings and things um i feel like that's pretty loud like there's harsh ends to things and there's almost this need to realize that "Mm, things can't last forever yo like yes (laughs) yeah I, i i i don't know like what's good though is that like uh it's good because a lot of this Deccan is associated with crisis management and people who do have placements in this Deccan are good at it, but at what cost? Yes. Um, yes. I, I know Austin compares this when he talks about this Deccan with um, Frodo and Sam with the ring on the way to Mordor. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much that both of them have to leave behind literally and figuratively to get to that mm-hmm. end goal and um i mean frodo literally loses his finger <laughs> um because of that you know this journey but it's better that he loses that finger right than like himself completely whether it's because mm-hmm. he just decided to keep the ring for himself or if, because his entire self ends up falling in the volcano so um this card definitely, I mean, the world in itself signifies endings, but there's always a promise of rebirth, especially if, um, yeah, if, especially if you decide not to crash and burn with whatever is ending, right? You, you know, there is always a choice of, like, again, with the vehicle 
um, metaphor. Like, yeah, if you crash your car or your horse, um, but you survive through it, like, you could rebuild again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, like, 100%. Um, I can <clears throat> um, read the... Hold on, I can read descriptions because I have some interesting examples. Um, Ibn Ezra says, this is a man of whose color is uh, whose color of complexion is golden, and in his hand <clears throat> something that looks like a wooden earring, and he's covered with a door made of tree bark. A man uh the Picatrix says, a man holding a cap on his head and killing another man. And this is a face of evil inclinations of adverse and evil effects and swiftness in these same things and in evil inclinations of hostility, dispersion, and doing evilly. Um, the Picatrix did not mince words. Um, this is an evil Agrippa says um, in the third decan, sorry, in the third face ascendeth a man like in color to gold or an idle man playing with a staff. And the signification of this is in following our own wills and obstinacy in them and in activeness for evil things, contentions, and horrible matters. Um, so I'm going to read the two descriptions of this Deccan from different translations of the Yavanajataka, and I'll let you guys decide. So in this first one, the third decanate in Sagittarius is a bearded man with a black body, clothed in silk and pining with love. He is graceful. On his breast hangs a string of pearls and a bracelet on his upper arm. He is fond of music and perfume. That sounds really nice. However, <laughs> this other um, this other version says the third drecana decan of Sagittarius represents a man appareled in silken cloth and skins of deers and tigers, golden complexion with hair all over the face, sitting in a highly elevated posture, holding a stick in one hand. This is a human decanate and an armed one. So there's this emphasis on being armed hmm. and having like a wooden object or like a stick or something. Um, um, I don't know. What, what do you think about some of the descriptions? I, I, I am taken aback by how different they both are. I mm-hmm. I feel like that third one is, or the third one, the second one is the more obvious fit. But I, now I'm just like, wait, but now I really want to unpack that first one. Like, it's just like, am I, am I maybe? I mean, I guess the pining, like yeah. someone who longs a lot, like, you know, um, whereas that guy and the other one is like, look, I've got a stick. I'm ready to use it. Like, <laughs> it's obviously a person in a position of power, yes. um, willing to do whatever it takes to keep that power. Um, I, I all I know is reading the first description of the third decan in Sagittarius made me think of um, my dad, who likely has his moon in this particular decan of Sagittarius. Yeah. Um, and I think it's actually my dad's chart ruler. I think he's a cancer rising. So like, this makes me feel better about like what I think my dad's birth time is. Um, and I think it really, um, tracks with the kind of person he is. Cause like, um, if he wasn't like a scientist, he would be like an athlete 
like he said, I always wanted to play football, and by football he means soccer because everybody outside of the U.S. knows that football is soccer, yeah, <laughs> and not whatever we think football is. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess on the pining description, maybe this is a good jump into the examples if you're ready. But um, just a quick mm-hmm. one for Moon in this deck in Adele has moon yes she's one of my examples she's one of your examples too (laughs) yeah it's in her it's in her sixth house ruling her cancer rising and it's void of course Mm -hmm. and yeah she Mm -hmm. is famous for breakup songs and i spent the taurus eclipse listening to her new album which is of course released during the taurus eclipse which is a wild um you know and there's a sag eclipse coming up too but um i really like this new album in particular because it's like a lot of her older tracks are really good and it has a lot of the angst that comes with like breakups of just like oh fuck Mm -hmm. you and oh i'm so sad and i'm like i'm not gonna be able to move on whereas this one was a lot of like it's obviously processing her divorce um and it has more of this tone of like you know i like really tried my hardest and I'm really, and there maybe there's like, I think there's like a couple tracks where it's like, this feels really, really unbearable right at the moment. But I, I get over, from the album overall, I get more of like an air of hope of just like, okay, like everything is going to end up working out like at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, it's funny because like, what's weird is I have a lot of, uh, I feel like most of my examples are actually like Moon or Mars for some reason. Um, so I have another sixth house Moon <laughs> um, ruling the Ascendant. So it's Vincent Van Gogh. He actually has his Moon conjunct the South Node in Jupiter in this Deccan. And, you know, this is someone who's, this is someone who pined a lot. Um, like the pining is really loud and I remember like you know at one point in his life because Jupiter rules his midheaven I believe and it rules his ninth house he wanted to be a preacher actually and he was deeply religious but like I think it really just didn't work out with him and like I know that it sent him into like a depression because like he couldn't do seminary school or something like that and so you know, he did lots of art and things like that um, instead. But I think what's interesting is that, <clears throat> you know, like, I think of the fact that the sixth house has to do with, like, injury and illness and things like that. And sometimes what I see with people who have placements, like, in the sixth house like this is, like, at least in this decan is how, like, you know, certain, like, physical limitations... Um, may prevent you from doing what it is you want to do. So you have to find something else to do. Um, And so like, while he was a great artist, you know, he did have like mental health struggles. He did end up like, I think he cut off like one of his ears or something. Yes. Um, He did end up like, you know, harming himself. And like, I actually went to the um, immersive Van Gogh, um, experience like they have one in toronto uh but i think it's like touring other parts of the world now it is it was here but unfortunately i couldn't go because we we had a covid spike right when that thing came of course oh my god no that happened to my mom because she was supposed to go in houston but like they canceled it because of covid and they didn't want to refund them so uh she was up here um for like back in october and like 
my sister and I did this like f- as like a birthday present for her. Like we took her, and um, it was good. Uh, and I, I just felt really bad because it's like this guy had great art, but and like, do you know how much like his family is making off of his legacy? A shit ton of money right now. Like it's insane. Mm-hmm. And um, I just feel bad that like he's a person who had all these struggles and was tormented and like probably like um took his own life before he was at like the peak of his um like the peak of his uh artistry because like he was like really good towards the end of his life and what's interesting is that when he died like he shot himself but he didn't die because he shot himself he died because he got infected Mm -hmm. a couple days later and uh you know back then they didn't have penicillin so I just think it's really unfortunate. Um, and, you know, he's secured legendary status. And, like, I think of what Austin was saying about, like, the rider vehicle dynamics. It's like something has to give. They both don't make it. It's like one of them makes it, the other doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think that, like, that's interesting. And it, it does make me sad in the case of uh, Vincent because, you know, he was so talented. Yeah, I, I really uh, wish I could remember which astrologer did this, but there was an astrologer who looked at Van Gogh's zodiacal releasing posthumously. And he does end up mm. peaking like after he dies. And that is really fa- fascinating that he really didn't experience very much commercial um, or, you know, public mm-hmm. success during his lifetime. It really came after, and it was because of his family. Yeah. It was because his um, sister-in-law ended up really like preserving and publishing all of his work. Yeah. And it's interesting because Jupiter is uh, ruling the house that's opposite the third, which is like, if you do derived houses, it's like your like brothers or sisters-in-law, right? Mm -hmm. Your in-laws would be ninth house. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, I think it's interesting how like Jupiter is like her preserving his legacy. Um, and basically securing like legend status for him like honestly like say what you want about other like i i don't know if anybody would even debate that like vincent van gogh is like one of the greatest artists of all time yeah i don't even think that's up for debate like at all yeah it's just not (laughs) it's not debatable (laughs) like um yeah I, i mean i don't know sorry i have a lot of opinions because like i've been really getting into like art and shit so (laughs) yeah no i i I agree i mean he's definitely got like the most recognizable name whether you're into art or not people will know who vincent van gogh is and not only that but when you see like a painting you know he did it like you know and nobody like nobody can replicate like some of that stuff that he did Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's it's like crazy Mm -hmm. especially like with some of like the techniques that were common in his time like like his use of color and like the types of paint like that he was using like i don't know like anyways if anyone has anything bad to say about van gogh like i will fight you because you're wrong wrong. (laughs) yes no i agree um I have a son example, and it is um, Jane Austen, who also had mostly posthumous success. Like she was, um, you know, she was publishing anonymously 
and um, she she didn't publish after she died. She published while she was alive, but you know her identity and stuff wasn't known until after she died. Just like many women authors of her time, her son was in her fourth house, ruling the twelfth. <laughs> um, she also has Mercury and Sag, um, but in um, Sag one, and you know she's known for this literary realism that still has this hu- this humor to it like the advice Mm -hmm. that she had gotten from another male writer was that um you know writing should be a representation of life that as may excite mirth (laughs) and that Mm -hmm. just sounds very sad to me and she has these main characters who are starting to really transcend the trivialness of life in particular that's kind of like bougie upper crust life um Mm -hmm. while everyone around them just kind of remains absorbed and lost in it and so i think a lot of her characters have to grapple with like okay am i gonna continue living the going down this road and living it or am i gonna you know break the mold and like you know not lose my humanity right and like kind of be who i want to be Hmm. Yeah. No. I have a couple of sun examples. One of them is Billie Eilish. Oh. Um. She actually has her sun, Min Heaven, and uh, Venus all conjunct in this Deccan. I think the South is it the South Node that's there too. I believe the South Node is there. Um. Let me check her chart real quick. Mm. Because um. Yep, South Node. Sun conjunct South Node. Uh, And, I mean, for one, like, again, like, she's always finding herself embroiled in controversy about stuff. Like, um, I think people were, like, criticizing her because, like, um, I remember people were criticizing, like, her partner, boyfriend, partner, somebody, um, for like being problematic possibly like racist or fascist like you know she has said like she like often uses like a b or black sense apparently she queer baits like things like that um however like what sucks is that you know she's a teenager like she was a teenager until recently and you know she's someone who got a lot of attention (laughs) um pretty young uh, she is someone who struggles with um, lots of health issues like Tourette syndrome, um, things like that, um, depression. And, you know, she was unfortunately friends with um, that one rapper, XXXTentation. Like, um, like, he's a very, very, like, pro- like, I think he assaulted, like, one of his former partners and, like, he eventually, I think, killed himself at some point, mm-hmm. I think. But, like, apparently he stopped her from doing that. So, like, I do, like, worry about, like, her being someone who has, like, a lot of fame and recognition at such an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, struggling with, like, the weight of needing to be visible. Because something that I noticed about the Sun-Saturn Deccans is that, like, there are standards you're held to. And if you're not ready to be held accountable, which is like the Saturnian part, you might not do well, you might crash and burn. And so like, you know, because she's still pretty young, I do wonder if she will follow the pattern of like people who have placements, especially the luminaries in this Deccan, um, not handling the weight of criticism well and probably not being uh, recognized for their, you know, genius or their... um, 
what have you until like something bad happens to them like mm. it's it, it's really unfortunate because i think i see that with like some of the placements um in this decan you know whether they um took their own lives or not right yeah yeah no for sure i i i mean i remember one of the controversies was like videos of her when she was 13 or 14 came out where she like made some derogatory statements against asian people and like was making fun of asians mm-hmm. and yeah. i and you know she on one hand she's like she her public statement in response was that she she felt really bad about it um and but at the same time she really kind of doubled down on like it really sucks growing up to be a teenager during this time where like everything you know is like on social media and everything's public and so much more accessible on one hand i get it like it is true like i know i said fuck up shit in high school that was luckily me too not on social media but, <laughs> but uh... um <laughs> girl <laughs> but to double down yeah. and you know you really you know it's like just leave it as just like i, I i'm sorry <laughs> you really just keep it at that <laughs> um i i don't have any okay my i the rest of my examples are saturn because this is a saturn ruled deck in but um, oh that's yeah fine uh I, do i have any more sun i mean like i have three ascendant example well four ascendant examples so bob dylan uh warren buffett and oprah like i mentioned but also william the duke of cambridge who actually has, is ascendant conjunct neptune i thought it was funny because there was an article that came out like i think it was earlier this year where they said his mom um or somebody nicknamed him Basher because when he was a kid, he liked to like hit Charles on the head a lot. <laughs> and then like, I think he said as a kid, like to some, someone he didn't like or someone who was responding in a way he didn't like, I'll send my guards to like, come like Basher head in or something. Like he said that as a kid to somebody. Oh like, boy. <laughs> um, and you know, he's somebody who's like known to, um, kind of like view like changes in like the media reputation of the royal family like he takes that shit very seriously and like his whole life is about man micromanaging that reputation and hopes that he will one day inherit the throne because you know he is the firstborn of um the presumptive heir yes right so like he's preparing for his spot and honestly his whole chart if you look at the decans but i would imagine like if you also did his chart in vedic and looked at his nakshatras and stuff a lot of it screams i'm power hungry give it to me right (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh there is that but yeah i have more like uh do i have like other sun examples my only other sun example is steven spielberg and let's see he's let me look at his bio for a minute because i feel like more of his bio was like the scorpio stuff because he has his son in the sixth house in this deck in Wow, we have like a lot of cancer risings we've discussed. A lot of cancer <laughs> risings. It's actually kind of wild. I mean, all it says to me is like, because, you know, it's his second house, right? And I think about like, I don't know, his relationship to money and like how he has a lot of like, 
I guess high grossing films and like I will say he is a pretty like legendary producer of films Mm. and stuff it just sucks because I know that there are a lot of other elements of his chart particularly his Leo Saturn Mm. um which describe like a lot of his best projects that do well are not things that he wants to do yeah (laughs) um I've heard that yeah, but something that I noticed about him was, like, he does a lot of adaptations of, like, books and things that do really well. Mm-hmm. Um, Jurassic Park? Yeah. Actually, no. That, that yeah. One, is that, did he produce that one? Hold on. I he did. That. Yeah, yes. He okay. did. Yes, he did. He did. <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park. Um, he also did The Color Purple. He did um, a bunch of other ones, like, uh, yeah, like. No, the dude was, he's in his directing bag. Like, he is one of the greats of all time. Oh, um, for sure. Um, yeah. Um... Oh, you know what's interesting? He actually um, did a movie about um, Martin Luther King. Oh. Or he bought the rights to the, like, he wanted to um, make a movie about it. Uh, I think it's interesting how he does a lot of like World War II movies, for example. Like yes. he did a couple of adaptations of like things around the Holocaust due to his um, Jewish heritage. He wanted to depict the life of Martin Luther King, who interestingly has his Saturn in this decan. Hmm. Um, and I, it's sad because MLK has an eighth house Saturn in this decan, and a lot of what he's known for is like, unfortunately, being assassinated. Yes. Um, but it made his uh, political ideology, which I feel is where the rulership of the ninth house in Capricorn comes through. Um, what's it called? He, um, you know, like in the loss of his life, again, he was made like a legend. Mm-hmm. And what I hate about that, though, is that a lot of his uh, political legacy was sanitized to fit a certain narrative so that people wouldn't um how do you say like especially his anti-capitalist stuff i feel like the government at all who had a hand in like you know the demise of mlk like used it as an opportunity to like sanitize his image or make him like sort of this like peaceful saint where if you like actually look at a lot of his videos and like some of his writings like he was actually very like anti-capitalist but nobody yes. talks about that yeah and it's actually very um and, and it's just annoying. so ironic because he was assassinated in memphis because he was there to support a worker strike on um, the sanitation workers um had been striking there most of them were black but um but yeah, he was there to support a strike, and no one really knows that. Wow, that's yeah. messed up. Yeah, yeah. The speech that he gave before, right? Um, a lot of it touches on the strike. Talks a lot about like you know more of his like economic views. But yeah, suggest everyone should go read that. But, um. My my quick um, AC example is Donald Rumsfeld has his fucking ascendant here. 
And it's ruled. I forgot about that guy. I know, I hate him. <laughs> and it's ruled by Jupiter and Leo in the ninth house, which I think it's just very literal, Stop. right? He was the Secretary of Defense for just like how many years, and it's just like most notorious for weapons of mass destruction and just completely like just making that shit up. Um, you know, before he passed, he had um, this is actually quite a few years ago, but he came out with an autobiography, which is like just the most unapologetic, uh, apologetic thing. Like, he basically just kind of blamed everything on everyone else and did not take any ownership of anything except for, like, I think all he said was, like, um, Abu Ghraib was, like, his, one of his biggest, like, the, the lowest points of his life. <laughs> that's about, that's as far as, like, Donna Rumsfeld went. But um, I have a few Saturn examples that I wanted to share. And um, so one of them is um, Imelda Marcos, who is... <laughs> she was the wife of the like Philippine dictator Ferdinand Marcos, um, and mm-hmm. she, um, oh my god, she has a fascinating chart to begin with, and I've done a thread on this, but she has Saturn in the sixth house here. It's retrograde, and it rules her seventh and eighth. And she continues to be in mm-hmm. politics now, along with her children and grandchildren. Unfortunately, she has not gone anywhere, even though like Marcos, has, her husband Marcos, hasn't been in power for a while. But her one of her grandkids is running for president now. Anyway, one of the things I thought just tracked with this Deccan and her Saturn placement here is that she was one of the things she was really well known for when she was first lady was she would launch these really grandiose architectural projects that were done in the brutalist style that was like really popular in the 60s through the 80s. And Mm -hmm. she did them on these extremely short timelines, um, which ended up just amassing a ton of debt. She she did it all. The reason why she did it is she wanted she just wanted the her regime to look really good, right? And she um she was just very known for just being like just super aesthetic, like both herself as well as just like the image of her family and the image of the Philippines. And she always saw these public works projects as like, oh, we gotta really look really good. Like for example, one of these projects was like a gigantic complex. I can't remember what exactly its function was. That she wanted to build like an extremely short period of time because Ronald Reagan was coming to visit. And so she would launch these very, very fast projects, which I think, again, it tracks with the story of the seven, um, or sorry, the eight, nine, and 10, the eight and nine of wands. Um, but she's got Saturn in the 10th, and the 10 of wands, second, the last decade. And all these projects were just such a big failure in that they amassed a ton of debt. They led to mass displacement of peoples because she would just completely raise mm-hmm. whole neighborhoods to build these things. Um And in some cases, like construction workers died because she was moving so quickly on these projects that things would collapse, like accidents would happen. Like so many people end up really, really struggling under her fascist fucking regime. Yeah. um, So I have a couple of... Uh, are these Saturn examples or is I actually have a moon example and a Saturn example Um, so they're both Libra rising though so one of them is Viktor Frankl who actually has his moon uh, is it an eclipsed moon let me check no he just has a third house moon um, uh, in this deck and ruling his uh, midheaven and a lot of people probably know him for writing the book man's search for meaning after he was imprisoned um in a um internment camp um or death camp uh, during the holocaust uh he was actually a neurologist psychologist before and then like he resumed his work um after he was liberated and it culminated in this book which 
a lot of people do read um, when they're going through a hard time. Uh, the Saturn example I have is, uh, what's it called? Barbara uh, Walters, who has her Saturn in the second, in the third house. And what's interesting is that her, um, I think her parents uh, descended from uh uh, Jewish re refugees who left the Russian Empire, like on one side of her family, like back when the czars were like um, purging the Jews out of um, Russia, basically. Um, but like, what's interesting is that like it also describes like you know that part of her lineage, but also like her experiences like um, with her father and like um, the kinds of people that she. Um, was around as a result of being near her father um, because he did run like a nightclub or something like that. And that mm -hmm. probably began like the basis of her, like wanting to interview people. Um, and because like being surrounded by like all these interesting people kept her from being in awe of them. Um, it's interesting. And something else is that she has interviewed like, a lot of uh, presidents. She's actually known for her um, her show, um, like what the ten most fascinating people, and she interviewed like almost every sitting president and first lady. But like, except for Trump and um, Biden, like she's interviewed them, but not while they were president. Mm. Um, so like, I think that that's uh, really interesting. I think. I think those are like, I think they'll, I'll throw out this example to see like your opinions on it too, but like, mm -hmm. um, Rob Kardashian has Saturn in this Deccan. Oh, it does. Yeah, I conjunct know Uranus. I know. And I, I want to bring him up just simply because we always bring up all the other Kardashians and Rob's the youngest of the, the four, you know, you know, Chris and Rob children, right? And no. I, I, when I think about this Deccan and, you know, what Austin says, like, you're, this is like that, or, or even Susan Chang describes it as like, this is the, like, this is the Deccanet series of like, how to be a legend. And it is just kind of funny that with Rob, like, mm -hmm. out of the three siblings, like, he's arguably just like the least successful, like, he's just been given yeah. so much. And it is really shocking, like that, you know, despite being the only boy, in yeah. like out of out of the four, those four kids anyway like he's launched mm -hmm. like a soft line and i don't know how much further that went and then he had all this beef with black china it's black china and yeah wait where where is his saturn like i don't i don't remember his chart off the oh top of it's my head. um it's in his 11th house he's an aquarius rising so it rules his aquarius first rising. He's a chart ruler. okay let me think because yeah, that's interesting, especially because, like, you know, with that 11th house Saturn, like, he's in a position to, like, be around all these people with power, but, like, maybe not, like, like, living up to that sort of, like, legendariness. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. It's, it's really interesting because I think Chloe is also an Aquarius rising. She's a Scorpio Saturn, I think. Um... So that 
that a parallel in their like character is really interesting where's his son i don't remember where his son is he's a pisces son so it's he has a night chart and it's in his second house oh my god no wonder okay (laughs) (laughs) um he also probably struggled under like the spotlight because i feel like there's like a hyper visibility that goes on in the family and like he just doesn't it like really weighed him down because like I think like it maybe ruined his perception of like his body, his relationship to his health, like yes, and he has struggled stuff. like tremendously with diabetes, and I think that's just going to be ongoing mm. for him, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Isn't like um, Saturn squaring his son as well? Yeah, it's I like okay. So the Saturn square is pretty close because he's got twenty one degrees oh. Saturn, and then that Sun's at twenty six degrees Pisces, which is like oh, third deck yeah, in Pisces. That's... And then oh. Uranus is an exact square to his Sun. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, uh, him and relationships. Um, wow, it's not working out for that guy. Yeah, unfortunately. unfortunately. Um. Uh, I mean. I have other examples that like I don't know like how much do you know about Henry Matisse's life because he has a fifth house Saturn conjunct the moon oh I you know I actually don't know too much about his life I know I know about his art like he is like the um when a lot of people think about like abstract abstract art um Henry Matisse is definitely like one of those like figures where um, he's known for like mm-hmm. a lot of color and a lot of like sometimes sometimes his pieces have like like it's you could see recognizable figures like people or like animals or something but he does also have a lot of um, I think this is more of his later works become a lot more like oh this is just a bunch of different colored shapes on a thing which you know a lot of critics of modern art are like how is this art like a third <laughs> so um, it's it's basically his fault that we have that kind of like art. in some ways yeah he really was one of the um the first artists who really kind of started that kind of modern art yeah like the deconstructed like because it's interesting because when you look at some of his like earlier stuff it looks like more kind of trad like kind of like clear-cut lines but then as you look at the rest of his stuff it like gets less um realistic yes yes so which like just like picasso in some ways right where it's like if you look at both of their earlier works you, they're clearly talented artists like they know how to draw the human form they know how to draw like landscape or paint landscapes like that kind of thing but they yeah like Matisse really chose as time went on to go like a much 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 more abstract mm. route oh you know what's interesting like um he actually met Matisse I sorry he actually met um Picasso and like was inspired by him but was also like his rival like <laughs> which is really interesting and i think um him like competing with like another i guess sort of rival for like art kind of makes sense because you know i kind of like forget to group them together like because it's just like i feel like picasso is kind of in his own league picasso is actually a sag moon as well but he's uh first decan um and he is uh i think it's conjunct the north node if i remember correctly Mm -hmm. Uh, let me check because he's in my notes I just didn't talk about him because I felt like other placements of his yep north node conjunct um, 
his moon in the first decan in the fifth house. Oh, wow. They have the same rising and moon just in different decans. That's kind of crazy. Wow. Um, they're also 11 years apart. So like Picasso's the younger and he's like the older. Oh, also like um, I guess like one big part of his life was that like during um, the war, like I guess like whenever they like immigrated after like what um he had an affair with like um one of his wife's like companions uh who was younger uh-huh which ended their like marriage uh and then like the girl he was having an affair with like um tried to uh take her own life oh shit um but then like somehow she survived uh, but then she stayed on with Matisse as his lifelong. Uh, um, I wouldn't say like companion. I don't think it was like romantic or anything. But like she started managing his household, mm. doing his correspondence, like doing all this other stuff. But I think that's interesting because of that moon, like Saturn conjunction with Saturn ruling his seventh house. Yeah. Because he was married for a long time. And it wasn't until, like, the war happened that, like, all this, like, blew up, I guess. Oh. Um, and, oh, like, let me see. He also tried to stay in, like, an isolated part of France during the war. But I think, like, um, certain parts of his um, family were a part of the resistance. Like, his, um, his ex-wife, like... Um, you know, was helping um, his wife, his ex-wife and his son were helping like um, the French resistance, like free um, Jews from the camps and like um, anti-Nazi artists like escape so that they can go to the um, United States um, and stuff like that. So yeah, so it's interesting how like, um, I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I always forget that these people were alive during that time. It's just like, oh, yeah, they did art. And it's like, oh, they were alive during a war. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I, um, <laughs> I just quickly, I, I started looking up his family because you were just kind of mentioning, like, what was happening during the war. And, like, some of them were involved in the resistance. But um, interestingly, his his son, Pierre Matisse, has his moon almost, like, also in this decade. <laughs> yeah. Stop. And he ended up becoming an art dealer, obviously probably selling a lot mm-hmm. of his, like, father's art and maybe even mm-hmm. just, like, some of, like, his father's, like, colleagues' art. But, um, mm-hmm. but he... Um, I believe he married like another artist's daughter, if I recall like correctly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, no, but like uh also a lot of uh Latisse's art was stolen by Nazis. Oh god. So I think of that moon ruling the twelfth really um speaking to that. Like literally losing your shit to uh, conflict and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. So I think that's really interesting. So those um, are all my examples. I don't have anything else. Awesome. Yeah, no, those are my examples. Like, I don't know. I feel like seeing people on different sides of the um, 
like oppressive oppressor axis with those placements is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, any last comments on Sag? No, I think that's it. Have a good Sag yeah. season, everyone. Have the Sag season. Uh, don't pop off too hard. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Yes. I know. We're still in a pandemic, and I just, like, I am a little worried. That's like, okay, holiday season's here. Let's just act like it's not over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... I guess we'll say more about the supply chain issues during the either the year ahead or the cap episode. So stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.